Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Hedrick and Arisia and Woody Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC Who's Who. Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, a proud member of the Fire and Water family of podcasts. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, the esteemed Rob Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? I've got Olympic fever. And, uh, oh, my it, goodness. In this case, I mean literally in that I'm probably sick again. So, <laughs> Is it a five-ring five case? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, I said I'm, I'm, I've so caught another weird head cold, so if I sound funny, funnier than normal, <laughs> we'll chalk it yes. up. We'll say that's the problem. Of of all reoccurring themes, we've you know it used to be Slipknot and stuff like that. It's apparently become head colds yeah. now on the show, yeah. which is yeah. not as fun. No. But anyway, folks, we are back for another exciting issue of Who's Who. We are so excited about this. Um, a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of George Perez. A lot of Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway in here. So I'm pretty jazzed. So how about you? Absolutely, yes. I was. Uh, I'm. Uh, we wanted to get caught up. Because uh, we were behind on the last one, so it's always nice to sort of jump back into this. Because this is a fun issue. There's a lot of good stuff. It's de- it's um. Ah, we'll just save it for the show. Yeah, anyway, come on. Yeah. All right, <laughs> we're gonna go ahead and thank our sponsors, In Stock Trade. So they're your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to forty five percent off with free shipping for orders of fifty dollars or more. Now, Rob, I have done something I don't think I've well maybe once done on an In Stock Trades. Uh, solicitation i have picked something i have either never read or read 30 years ago and i don't even remember reading but this is for frank i have picked three classic bronze age wonder woman trade paperbacks because we have done nothing but give wonder woman a hard time bronze age wonder woman a hard time in the show and he just won't shut up about it so i have picked diana prince wonder woman volume one volume two and volume three Trade paperbacks. Now, these are going to be the ones that are uh, uh, by Denny O'Neill and Mike Sikowski. This is the white jumpsuit Wonder Woman. We're talking, you know, issues 178 through, what is this, 189. And anyway, it keeps going on. Those are a lot of fun. Those are those are just very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, uh, I can't think of the word. Really, like, fun 60s adventures. Oh, Kitch- is this, is, is this Silver Age or is this Bronze Age? Uh, well, this is late 60s, so I, that's Silver Age. Oh, okay. See, I thought this was 70s. Okay. Uh, it's like right at the end. I think it's like 68, 69, 70. So right, okay. right, right in there. Gotcha. Well, I, I know I've read an issue or two of it, and it's fun stuff. Anyway, the, very reasonably priced. It's a window into this classic era of Wonder Woman where she's wearing the white pants. And she drops the whole, whole Wonder Woman motif and becomes Diana Prince. She's wearing the white jumpsuits. Anyway, fun classic stuff. These things go for um, nineteen ninety nine. One hundred seventy six pages, by the way. One hundred seventy six pages. They go for nineteen ninety nine. Normally full color. You can get it at in stock trades for forty five percent off. Ten dollars and ninety nine cents a piece. So you can pick up the three of them, which is going to give you what's that, four hundred and fifty pages or whatever, for like thirty two bucks or thirty three bucks. 
That's a lot of egg foo for, for not a lot of money. <laughs> uh, my pick was I originally wanted to do something from the Omega Men because this issue has got a lot of Omega Men in it. But yeah, uh, a, the Omega Men has not been collected as far as I know <laughs> in, any, in any format. It has not been collected. So I went with something else. In this case, uh, Roots of the Swamp Thing trade paperback. Uh, I'm hardly picking uh, something uh, you know unique <laughs> or unheralded here, but it's the tales that made Swamp Thing a fan favorite are collecting this trade paperback, featuring the first appearance from House of Secrets number 92, along with Swamp Thing numbers 1 to 13 by Len Wein and Bernie Wrightson, which of course features, the, among other things, first appearance of the Patrick Man, who is... Uh, given a listing here in this issue of Who's Who. Uh, 320 pages, normal price twenty nine ninety nine in stock trades, price $16.49, 45% off. You cannot be – I don't know if anybody listening to this hasn't read these. If you haven't, you need to. These are some of the classics of the comic book horror genre, and they're, they totally hold up. They are little ma- – not even – I was about to say little masterpieces. They're not. They're masterpieces. I'm not going to put any qualifiers. They're fantastic, and it's a it's a great, great run. Yeah, I, there's no denying that. I mean, they're amazing comics. I remember just when I worked at the comic shop, getting those issues in from, from time to time and just flipping through them and just being, you know, blown away by the artwork. Yeah. So great stuff, great stuff. So, folks, that's in-stock trades. You can go out there. And, well, how much does that cost? Did we talk about that? I said that, sixteen forty nine. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Okay. Terribly sorry. Um, Rob's head cold's got me all stuffy, I guess. Anyway, you can go out to InStockTrades.com, best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 45% off. And uh, you can get free shipping for orders of $50 or more. So our thanks to them for sponsoring the show. All right. Uh, real quickly, getting into who's who, just in general, if this happens to be your first episode of the show, I still don't understand why you would start on volume 17, but whatever. I don't know why you bother to go through this every episode. Really you know don't. what? It's it's a thing. It's a thing. You know, when we All get right, to... It's my own fault for interrupting you. Just finish. Just let's All right, get fine. Through. 26th issue series, Who's Who Was, uh, goes alphabetical order, celebrating the history of the DC Universe. At this point, we're into 1986, a uh, good ways into it, so... We're well past the 50th anniversary at this point. We're going to talk about the cover jam. We're going to talk about how the fact there's no – well, they're going to talk about the insides. The way the, way the pages are laid out, you've got uh, basically a, a large image of the character in f- full costume, in full color. And in the background is going to be a single color, what we call the surprint. And it's going to have a, a close-up of the character without their face. And then some sort of image showing like uh, their their – usage of their powers or their origin or something connected to who they are. And then you, each character's got their own unique logo, too, which are pretty sweet. So, and, and our goal with the show is not so that you have to have the comic in front of you. We're going to try and describe it so that you can kind of get a sense of it. But if you do want to see some of them, we're going to put about 10 to 15 of them out on our Tumblr. And, uh, Rob, what's that Tumblr address? Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. There you go. And, um... Inside, you'll find the personal hit data, which is like, you know, their real name, their occupation, their height, their weight. Rob's really hung up on height and weight. It's really strange. Anyway, history, powers, weapons, all that stuff. And um, so you can find back issues of Fire and Water podcast and Who's Who podcast over on iTunes. You can also find us on Stitcher if you want to go back and check out the back catalog of Who's Who. I think it's a lot of fun. You can find it out there. And if you want to talk about us on the social media, please hit us up um, using the hashtag PoundFWpodcast. Pound FW Podcast will help us find you, and it will help uh, other listeners find you as well. This is Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe, Volume 17, cover dated July 1986. By the way, it, the Roman numerals are XVII, 
in case somebody's keeping a record at home. So cover date of July 1986 was actually hit the shelves on April 17th, 1986, thanks to Mike's Amazing World of Comics for that information. So if, remember, set your DeLorean, April 17th, 1986. And this is a cover by Mr. George Perez by himself. Yeah, this is the first one he did by himself since, I think, number two, I believe. Oh, I, thought, I thought number one. I thought Dick had been thinking since I number two. I, did, I thought he did number two by himself. I could be wrong. Anyway, uh, yeah, this is a, uh, you know, so far rare Perez on Perez cover. Uh, <laughs> character was sounds, sounds dirty. It, well, it's, yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, the cover, it looks fairly empty compared to a lot of other covers. It isn't. There's actually a lot of groups going mm-hmm. on here. But there's something about the way George laid the uh, laid them all out that makes uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of space here. Uh there's a lot of blue space in the background. So um our main character is of course Nightwing aka Dick Grayson from Robin. I mean not only is Dick Grayson one of the most famous comic book characters ever in history, he was in his guise of Nightwing starring in I think DC's best-selling book at the time. So, I think so. Yeah, no-brainer that he was the main figure, uh, as much as Jack Doward went to argue that the Penguin should be. Um, <laughs> the, Peng- the Penguin is here, too. He's right there, right below Dick, uh, with uh, the dog from Nuclear Family on his umbrella. Which is- Can we just talk about that? Like, th- that has always bothered me. Like, not just a little bit, either. Like, it wrecks the cover for me. It always has. And it's really eating me alive that Nightwing is in the place of prominence. You know, your secondary prominence goes to, as you said, Penguin. Probably, it feels like Northwind and Nuclon. I kind of feel get the next, pref- next, you know, tertiary point. But the friggin' dog, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense in his placement. It, it, it's a throwaway, stupid outside. It just it makes me mad wow. that the dog is on the Penguin's okay. umbrella. Jeez, okay. Uh, I don't have anything really else to say to that. Um, on the, uh, <laughs> Sorry. On the back, because it was so weird. It's throwing me off. On the uh, back cover, we see a bunch of the characters engaging. Omac looks like he's about to square off with Outsider. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, mm-hmm. see, we see Ocean Master, who, if I want to play the Aquaman card, is not getting nearly enough space. Uh, fly, too fly, much space. Flying out of the water. Uh, we see that you get the Omega Men. You see back in the uh, upper left corner, the gods of Olympus are hanging out together. I like that Nocturna and the Patrick Man are kind of hanging out. That makes I think he would be attracted to her because she sort of looks a little Bride of Frankenstein-y. So uh, you can see that. Uh, and then sort of circling them all is Nimbus from the Omega Men, whose trail of little black smoke starts on the midpoint of the back cover, sweeps all the way around, goes around the front, and then comes around up in the... Uh, bottom part of the front cover. So kind of a nice little circular pattern there, if uh, a little bit brief. And then we've got Perdegaton running away, like the little chicken shit that he is. <laughs> well, notice Perdegaton specifically running away from the OSS. Yes. Which is very, which is very fitting because that's a World War II group. Yes. yes. So that's nice. Now, one of the things I want to mention about Nimbus that's pretty cool, that Ni- Nimbus, as you said, he's got the black streak going around. Well, the, his black inky streak is specifically encircling Obsidian and Nightshade. Which makes perfect sense with both their powers. Okay, right. Yeah, all right. That's true. Which, which is kind of cool. Like he's, he's even it goes past them, and it's even got a little like a little wrap around, like a little lasso around them. So that's kind of cool. I also like a peacemaker and persuader facing off against each other. Yes. If I was, uh, I'm sorry, peacemaker, parasite, and parasite. parasite. If I was yeah. parasite, I'd be careful because peacemaker does not hesitate to shoot. 
I think this is a this peacemaker is a different kind of guy. <laughs> okay. He's not the peacemaker you and I know, based on what I've been reading on it. Because I did a little research on him. is not what we're used to. So. Yeah, he's still got that gun, though. You know? Anyway. It's true. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So, it's a nice cover. I mean, you know, it's by Perez. Of course, it's a nice cover. So. Well, I would say that, as you said, it's got a lot of open space. It's a very oddly laid out cover in that, in previous first covers, spatial geometry didn't mean a lot. Here, there's a lot. Well, I mean, there's still some stuff that's just wonky. It's kind of like, well, I don't know why that person would be floating there, but who cares? There's still some of it, but it's not as much. And in previous issues, there was always sort of, you felt like there was a circular motif going on. There's no circular motif other than Nimbus really happening here. Yeah. So it's, um, it's, I don't don't know. I I don't want to say he spent less time on it because that's not the case. It's just very, as you said, different. Different is probably the way to put it. I would also say Perez inking himself is beautiful. Yes. We argue about this every month. I say I love Dick Giordano. He does amazing – deal with it. He does amazing, amazing inks on the Firestorm covers. But when it takes – when it comes down to a bunch of little characters, a lot of the background detail gets lost. Here, when Perez does himself, that doesn't happen. And I bet Perez specifically said, I want to ink the cover with Dick myself for that reason. Mm -hmm. Meaning Dick Grayson. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe so. Yeah. Uh, okay, so and the inside cover features the single best who's who letter ever to be sent in. What? Uh, yes, uh, and I will read it. It says, "Dear Who's Who folks, having bought comics on a regular basis for about four years now, I've come to regard Who's Who as a great help in learning about the many years of comics I've missed. However, in your entry for Mister Freeze, I think you might have slipped. <laughs> I suppose it is possible to need a special environment for surviving in temperatures greater than thirty-two degrees centigrade, which is eighty-nine point six degrees Fahrenheit." Wouldn't it be better to move to Los Angeles? Thomas D. Elvins, Torrance, California. To me, that is how you write a critical letter. Is you are funny about it and polite, and you, you start off with a compliment, and then you go for the, the, the cut, as opposed to the very entitled, hand-wringing, you know, oh, the, these books feature errors. I want all new copies corrected, which tend to be the tone of the letters. Uh, to this point. I mean, a lot of these Who's You fans, it's like, man, if there was an internet, I would listen to it because, you know, it would. I, I like Thomas Elvins. I, I'm a okay. big fan of Thomas Elvins. I, I, I remember when I bought this issue off the stands, and I laughed out loud when I read that letter. I thought it was just so funny, and I still laugh at it today. So, good That's on funny. you, Thomas D. Elvins. <laughs> there's, there's some mentioning here about the whole commandy and what happened to him with Crisis, some, uh, as, as you said, hand-wringing. It's just interesting how much DC was putting on the history of the DC Universe. Yeah. Book, it's just everything was, like, oh, it's going to be explained in the history of the DC Universe. Oh, yeah. that's going yeah, yeah. to fix everything. Like, it's a cute little two-issue mini-series, but it doesn't explain much. <laughs> yeah, they, were, they really dumped a lot on that. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much everything, every complaint you have with Who's Who will be explained in the history of the DC Universe. Right, exactly. So, And then... Interestingly enough, there's a letter here from someone in quotes named Batmite. I thought DC was done at this point with writing with people writing letters with su- uh, obvious pseudonyms. Yeah. Like, how do you get away with that? Because like, remember the Mad Ma- the Mad Marple or Maple, whatever, had to change his name to TM Maple mm-hmm. because he couldn't use a fake name, and here someone was able to use a fake name. Well, he's, now, he says he's from Tallahassee, Florida. That's a fake city. So, I mean, I don't know what the I was going to say, in my own defense, I swear to God, this is not me. <laughs> he is from my hometown. I know the street he lived on. I don't know this guy. Uh, I can imagine a couple of the geeks from the comic 
shot back in the eighties that I knew that he might be. Uh, but it just, it shocked me that someone was allowed to use their name in quotes, Batman. So. Hey, well, we know you didn't write it cause it doesn't refer to anyone as being hot. And there's no talk about Firestorm, so. But they do mention DC samplers. They do mention the DC sampler, yes. Unfortunately, right. there will be no DC samplers. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, issue, moving on to the issue proper. Uh, our first entry is Nightshade, one of the Charlton purchases, by Cindy Martin and Joe Rubenstein. Now, Cindy Martin was the artist on Star Wars, Marvel's Star Wars series during the last couple of years on that book. So yep. I, this might be the only thing she ever did for DC, or at least the only thing ever she did for Who's Who. I don't know offhand. Um, well, I, I'll tell you. I did some research on this. It's it's her first time she ever drew the character. It's odd because she almost always goes by Cynthia Martin, and here she's, right, she's Cindy. Cindy never, yeah. yeah. Um, this actually came out just about the same time as the last issue of Star Wars. Right. right. And she had just done a little bit of uh, the Marvel Handbook, okay. which is kind of interesting. She did some Marvel Handbook, Star Wars, and then DC you know, DC who's who kind of out of the blue. I, I got to imagine they were just sort of flirting with her, maybe coming to work for them. I'm not sure. You can tell though. It's definitely her with her trademark mushrooms though. Yeah. It's a really nice piece. I think it's a very nice drawing. Um, uh, it's, I, it, you know, I don't know. It's hard to describe it really. I think it's just very, it looks um, like a sophisticated child children's book. And I mean that in a good way. Uh, I like Nightshade's costume. I always have. I think the, the color scheme has always been nice. Uh, the pose is good. It's, Sort of a little defiant, it's a little sexy, but it's not overly done. You see her in the background kicking the crap out of. Uh, it's a, it's invincible. Doctor Solar, Man of the Atom, I believe, and no, uh, it's, a, so. it's invincible. <laughs> Look, he's got the eye on his chest. I know. Um, so, uh, and her alter ego is Eve Eden, um, which it had, you know, in a long tradition of having a original name that will, of course, presuppose your powers later on when you become a superhero. So. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's a nice, it's a very nice listing. I think it's a, it's very well done. The, this, the picture of her as a little girl going through the fairyland just really freaks me out, especially once you read the entry, how she was sort of abandoned and her mother was murdered in this fairyland. And didn't she carry her mother's body back or something? Like, <laughs> ah, Fun you know. stuff. But you're right. Uh, the foreground image of her and her, you know, classic costume this is before crisis you know really took effect so she's not wearing the all black bodysuit she would later it, the it's the orange and black very sexy sort of miniskirt love it she's hot just gotta say it i love that she used to ride around on a motorized skateboard i think that's cool that they <laughs> mentioned that i love that and uh okay I, I wasn't kidding when i said that dude looks like invincible and you know i'm talking about an image character from like 30 years later right i'm not actually referencing the real dc character but no no idea who the hell she's kicking in the crap. No. <laughs> and there's a lot of talk about Captain Adam. Captain Adam and Nightshade were kind of a thing. And it's sort of sad that they didn't end up together. I never really understood why they took Captain Adam in the direction of Plastique versus Nightshade. So I thought that was disappointing. And I do like the close-up of her face in the background. Very pretty. Very very much a Cynthia Martin face. Yeah, it's a great drawing. I, I, was, I remember being a fan of hers when she took over Star Wars, and I don't think she was. I, I seem to remember there were a lot of letters that were sort of like – why does Star Wars look so sort of feminized now? You know, like they people, a lot of people didn't take to that very well. But I always thought it was really quite nice. It gave it a more that book a more cartoony look, but I thought it was perfectly fine. So yeah, I think she's a good artist. I don't know what ever happened to her. Well, if you if you're um, at home, if you guys are fans of Star Wars and you listen to the Two True Freaks uh, Star Wars Monthly Mondays, you know there's a lot of talk about Cynthia Martin over there and what she's been up to and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So definitely, that's cool. a place to check it out. All right. Speaking of going from speaking of good art and not such good art. Next. Yes. You're up. Yeah, I know. What are you talking about? 
I love this artwork. This really? Is, this yes. next one is so disappointing. Night Slayer by Gene Cullen and Bob Smith. Uh, this is from that mid-80s run on Batman that Doug Menick or Doug Menich did with Gene Cullen, which I think is like kind of underrated. I think they introduced a lot of cool new Batman villains who uh, I really haven't kept up with Batman over the years, so I don't know if any of them have been brought back. But I thought there were a couple of cool characters. And this guy looks really neat. I love that he's basically one giant Zipatone effect. Uh, which I think is really cool. I mean, the pose is a little strange, but Gene Cullen's poses were a little strange. Uh, he's got this big dagger. He's looking super scary. Uh, I, I dig it. I, I don't care for the Now, I will say the serpent looks nice, but I just can't stand the character room. It's just, just muddy, black, weird, not even human quite shape. So well, the serpent, the serpent's nice. So I love that face, uh, the close-up of the guy's face. looks very sort of manic and, and disheveled. And stuff with Nocturna and Robin look great, but foreground doesn't do it for me. Hmm. I don't know. I like I. Part of the reason I like it is because he's a black and white character, and you really don't see that in comics, superhero comics. You know, there's yeah. always got to be some color in there. But uh, I think he stands out. I like the logo. I don't know. I I I'm, I like the the whole bit. I really do. Well, he's got a really weird origin. Um, basically, him and Nocturna were sort of in love with each other, even though they were I want to say stepsister and stepbrother. Is that right? Or Foster? Uh, Foster. 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 Yeah. So, like, he fell in love with her through his dad's letters. He, he, before he even met her or spoke to her or communicated with her, he was in love with her. And then he kept changing his name. This is, this is something odd, where he's like the thief of the night and all these different things, and eventually settles on the, the slayer of the night, then the night slayer. And it, very creepy, weird romance stuff uh, with his sister, which freaks me out a little. It feels a little... um. What's her name? Uh, Tomb, Laura Croft, Tomb Raider lady. What's her name? Oh, Angelina Jolie. In the yeah, it feels a little Angelina Jolie there. Anyway, so it, I don't know, it, 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 it was unsettling reading it, but I imagine it's on purpose and probably would have been a little unsettling in the comic. And it sounds like a lot of their history was probably just info dumped because they both appeared at the same time rather than like it slowly building up. So, I don't know, as you said, it sounds like it was interesting times. Um, but. As I said, I just feel like that main drawing. A little disappointing. Okay. All right. Next up, our big hero of the book, Nightwing, by George Perez. Obviously, everybody knows who Nightwing is. Um, My one criticism I've ever lobbed at George Perez's artwork, which, you know, like, is already probably risking me getting in trouble, is that sometimes his figures are a little stiff. And I think this Mm -hmm. pose is a little stiff. Um, Dick is kind of like ramrod straight, even though he's dipping down into the frame on his rope and swinging. Uh, that said, you know, the design is, is beautiful. You see him as Robin, uh, with Batman. And then you see him doing his like little judo flips and kicking the crap out of somebody. And then there's a close up of him without his mask on. And then the Nightwing symbol, uh, you know, so otherwise it's a very, it's a, it's certainly a great representation of the character. Um, I'm kind of amazed they got all that history in basically half a page. I mean, this is one of the, this is, this character is one of the longest histories in all of superhero comics. So it's, it's remarkable. They fit as much in as they did. Uh, that's one of my notes is that he absolutely deserves two pages. Yeah. However, what they did was very well written. Yeah. So he, and I sat there and I debated for a long time. It's like, who deserves two pages? Does Nightwing deserve two pages or does Robin deserve two pages? Yeah. Well, the Robin entry would have been about Jason Todd, not about Robin. Right. So, yes, Dick Grayson deserves two pages. It's shocking he didn't get it. Um, so, But the artwork is beautiful, as you said. You know what it reminds me of? It's like it's like it's almost like a prototype 
um, piece for his whatever his covers were. I can't remember it was Year Three or Lonely Place of Dying that he did those sort of themed covers. Where there was a lot of stuff going on in the background with with Nightwing's history and stuff oh, like that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I know. What you're reminds me. About. Reminds me a lot of that. Yeah. Now, here's an interesting fun fact I didn't know. You know, um, this is this is the funny Nightwing with the big collar costume that people love to make fun of nowadays. Which, as with a lot of George Perez stuff, only George could draw looking cool. Do you know the yellow little the yellow stuff on the collar on the around the big V collar? You know what the yellow stuff's supposed to be? Feathers. It's supposed to be sort of symbolized or represent feathers. Huh. Okay. Isn't that interesting? Because of a, a bird, you know? Yeah, I'm not getting that. But <laughs> it's okay. I can't promise that's what George was planning, but that's what they've said in past years. Like, you know, it's like Dick was joking around going, it was supposed to be feathers. Hmm. Okay. Uh, anyway. the, this entry finds him at a weird spot in his life as it ends with, as of this writing, Nightwing has become a believer in the Church of Brother Blood. What will happen to him now? Is yet unrecorded. Right. <laughs> so, this wonderful hero that you've all come to love over 50 years is right now as a cult member. So, you know, okay. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, obviously he didn't He didn't stay that way. So. What? Spoilers? Oh, sorry. Yeah, I apologize for that. So, uh, yeah, it's nice stuff. It's, 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 you know, it's a nice representation of one of DC's and all of Comicdom's marquee characters. So. Yep. Uh, next up, uh, all right, I'm calling shenanigans. On this what? One. I don't believe I, I don't believe that I mean I understand Nightwing and Flamebird were yeah. later other people, but just the fact that it was once Superman, like I I don't know. I, I, I just feel like do Nightwing and Flamebird really need a page? Really? I don't know. Oh, I mean, it okay, feels like it's push, pushing it to me here. But it's but it's Akvar and Vanzi. Oh well I'm sorry then. <laughs> Bottle City? Never mind. <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, I, every time I used to see these guys in a comic, I just kind of rolled my eyes like, really? You know, there are superheroes I, in Candor? Of course there are. I don't know. Fine. I'll, I'll wax their car. Uh, fine. Go ahead. Because this entry actually really resonated with me as a kid for some reason. All right. So you've got Nightwing and Flamebird. It's essentially Superman and Jimmy Olsen in disguise as a Candor version of Batman and Robin is what it's supposed to be. Uh, Basically, the Superman's in an all-black costume with a little black cape, little black booties, and little black gloves, and he's got a utility belt, and he's got a essentially a batarang symbol on his chest and a little domino mask. And the, the, the other character is in all red with yellow boots and yellow gloves and yellow sunburst. And it, it looks very Superman, but Robin and Batman at the same time. It's a nice amalgamation, if you will, of them. And essentially, when Superman and Jimmy Olsen used to go to Candor, Superman would be powerless. But they felt like they still need to fight crime, so they would adopt these Batman-esque identities and go around and fight crime. <laughs> it was hilarious. And eventually, they stopped doing it. And these other two guys who live in Kandor, took over and became the new Nightwing and Flamebird. And for some reason, as a kid, these two characters sparked my imagination like almost nothing else. I just, I thought it was great. I loved the idea of these characters. I used to come up with adventures in my own mind of these wow. characters. It's nuts. Now, it, it, they even went as far as to have their own cave, you know, in Kandor. Oh, for God's sakes. Yeah, I know, I know. They, it, they, I, they, don't I, even, they don't even try and hide that it was Batman and Robin. They come right out and say it. You know, I'm going to come out and say these two make the composite Superman look like the Joker. 
it looks a little bit like the ambiguously gay duo. In terms actually, of coolness, now that I look at it. in terms of ridiculous concepts, Composite Superman looks considered and well rendered when compared to that. I don't de- no, because this is Curse One and Carl Kiesel. It's very nicely drawn. No, I don't mean I don't mean the drawing. I don't mean the, I don't mean yeah. rendered in the sense of drawing rendered. I mean rendered in terms of thought through and well considered. Are I you mean, saying composite or Superman Red Superman Blue? No, composite Superman. We've been picking nah. on composite Superman. I know, I know. We, uh, ridiculous yeah, this, he is, and I'm saying compared to composites, no. compared to these two, composite Superman looks like the coolest thing anybody's ever seen. No, no, this this is Shakespeare compared to composite Superman. Oh, I'm boy. sorry. Now, I would if you said Superman Red, Superman Blue, we might be onto something. Well, we're out of t- it, yeah. All right. We're out of time. <laughs> Sorry. Did we just get the hook on this yeah. one? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, check it out. Nightworking Flamebird. I love them. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, you got to say, supposedly Dick Grayson got his name from Superman in this. Oh, that's right. Character, yeah. Which I think is a bunch of bull crap. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, thank God for John Burns' revamp. Okay. Uh, <laughs> next up is Nimbus from the Omega Men, uh, drawn by uh, Sean. Drawn by. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if he needs a whole page. Uh, nevertheless, very well drawn by Sean McManus. I'm a big fan of Sean McManus's work. I think he's a great artist, and I think this is a really beautiful entry. I love the way he fades off into into mist, uh, and we see him uh, his spirit form leaving the body of one of those uh, Gordinians. I guess that he has just killed, or no, he's not killed. He hasn't killed the guy. He's taken the spirit from. Uh, it's a really he's uh, it's a really really nice drawing, and his former occupation is uh, Angel of Mercy. Very nice. Former, not anymore. Former, former Angel Mercy. I'm sorry. I found this one disappointing. Um, actually, I feel like McManus is capable of so, is so much more, and so I, I found this one disappointing. The origin, I fell asleep reading the origin. Um, <laughs> sorry, it, it's Omega Man. I'm done. Okay, he doesn't need a whole Go. page, though. I will say, as much as I like the Omega Man, he doesn't need a whole page. Come on, we gotta hurry up. We gotta get to Northwind. Yeah, so yeah, that's true. Next up is Nocturna, which is the other half of the sort of Night, Night Slayer pairing from Detective Comics. This, in this case, drawn by Tom Mandrake. She was Batman's main squeeze for a good, not a, not a really long chunk in the eighties, but a, a long and more than one issue, let's say. Um, she is uh, chalky white skin, so she seems like a you know. Like a, vampire-ish kind of thing. In the background, we see her snuggling up to Batman and then sitting and having a nice talk with Robin. Um, unfortunately, the way Tom Mandrake drew it, it looks like Nocturna is doing something with Dick Grayson that she shouldn't be doing. Well, that's not Dick Grayson. That's Jason Todd. Jason Todd. All right, whatever. Even, even well, more she, so then, yeah. She adopted Jason Todd. I know. It just, I mean, that was a huge plot point. Her arm is just... In a weird place. There. It does look a little Mrs. Robinson, but because <laughs> her other yeah, her hands like on his thigh and her other arms around him. It does look a little. Maybe she was educating him in the ways of being a man. Who knows? Ooh. Now, part of her and part of the reason we're saying this is her character really is all about sex. I mean, she has uh, this perfume she wears, which is just makes everybody attracted to her. You can't help but be attracted to her. Um, she rides around in a hot air balloon. I mean, come on, what's sexier than that? <laughs> It's uh, it's kind of actually it's really kind of kooky, but as far as it being a Batman villain, it sort of works. Yeah, you know. Although where does, does. One, where does one land a hot air balloon when you have to? In Gotham, I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know. By the way, in case it wasn't obvious, she is hot. You like the chalky white? Kooky I, I like I like Tom Mandrake drawing a uh, sexy woman. That's okay. all. Good artist. Good artist. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nice. I said I don't know. I if anybody's been keeping up with Batman over the past. 25 years, you can tell us. 
she ever she's... been brought back? I, I guess she has. I think everybody's been brought back at some point. I saw her name. I want to say she was in, a, in like a, a Robin series with Tim Drake, you know, during a sort of darker period for a little while. Um, maybe Pete Woods was drawing. Maybe I can't remember. And then I want to say I heard she came back in the last, you know, five years or so. Huh? But okay. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know that for sure. Everybody comes back eventually. There isn't anybody That's I think left behind. So true. Next up, the hero of the book, North Wind, uh, drawn by uh, Jerry the Extraordinary Ordway and Mike Macklin, the perfect team. Um, I don't have as much of an issue with this character as some others do. <laughs> he is pretty dull, uh, mainly yep. because he's so earnest. Uh, he's always, he always was written as this very serious, earnest guy. His costume is doofy beyond belief. Um, but when he's drawn by Ordway and Macklin, you almost buy it. I mean, it's a really, <laughs> really nice drawing here. We see him... Without his mask, we see Hawkman on the mask. We see his parents. We see the city that he comes from and flying around with the birds. Uh, it's a really beautiful drawing. I mean, they said you can't beat Jerry Wardway and Mike Macklin doing an all-star squadron character or Infinity Inc. character. Yeah, it's it's not so much that people have a problem with him. It's just that he's boring. Yeah. it's He's a non-character is kind of what he is. It was just kind of strange because, you know, his, his you know, analog is Golden Age Hawkman. Who's everyone loves Golden Age Hawkman? He just kicks all the ass, and so you would think as an analog, this guy would be up there too. But no, he's just kind of like, oh yeah, there's that bird guy in Infinity Inc. Right? Okay, <laughs> whatever. Moving on. Now I will say this is probably the nicest looking close up here in the surprint of Northwind I've ever seen because his hair always has this weird scratchiness that you know is supposed to be feathers, but doesn't really look like anything other than scratchy lines. And then here, this close up, you're like, oh damn, those are feathers. It looks good. Yes. That, I love that. I love that little close-up. Of Beautiful space. drawing. Great lighting. Yeah. Great lighting on it. Yep. Uh, this is probably the only entry in which you will see eyes brown, hair brown, feathers golden. I actually have in my notes, Rob will mention the feathers in the personal data. Oh, you know me too well. <laughs> I like the logo too. The, the, the logo looks great. It looks like it could work for an airline as well. You can just see that on the side of some planes. <laughs> North Wind. I hear the I hear the jingle. <laughs> yeah, you get a get an apple and a bag of Fritos on the plane. It's great stuff. Uh, so yeah, kind of a morts of a character, but beautiful artwork. So oh, so good, Jerry Ordway. Yeah, next up, so good. Next up, Nuclear Family, another team of villains from the Outsiders, drawn by Jim Aparo. Uh, the characters as simple as can be: dad, mom, Biff, sis, Brad, and dog. Um, Aparo's normally sort of cheeky, bright, happy-looking characters. He, he applies it here, but gives them a slightly sinister cast, especially Brat, uh, down at the bottom, who looks like the kind of kid that would uh, kill animals or something in his spare time. Mm-hmm. Um, these characters are losers. Uh, I, they are. <laughs> I mean, I, I love the Outsiders. I love Batman and the Outsiders. I love Mike W. Barr, but these are loser characters. <laughs> they just are. Um, well, last, the, the Outsiders have a long history of th- Themed villain Themed team. Themed villain. Masters Forces of Disaster. July. Right, right, right. The New Olympians. As I understand it, this is, is like the lowest of the low yeah, of the themed <laughs> characters. Now, I will say, I love the dad with a hat and the pipe. I love that. It's like it's very Church of Bob. You know, it looks yes, great. Yeah. And then Brat's face is just yeah, it's, so it's good. It's spooky. It's spooky. Both, both in, in, the, in the image and then in the little side panel. Because you've yeah. got the like, Justice League of America lineup of faces, too. Yeah. Boom, 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 boom. They all look identical with different hair. Yeah. Yeah, it's creepy. <laughs> Now, when we planned out these issues, folks, just so you know, I specifically asked Rob to cover this issue so I didn't have to say the name of 
that group. <laughs> That's right. The thing I remember most about the, these characters is, well, is they first appeared in Outsiders number one, and that issue featured a gatefold um, splash page, not splash page, but like middle section, like because there's a point where they, they imagine a nuclear um, holocaust, and you actually pull it out into, th- into a centerfold. So it's like three pages. I remember being like really impressed at that. I was like, ooh, ooh they spent the extra money to give you it because it just folds way out. I thought that was great. But other than that, these characters oh. do not need to be remembered. They really don't. <laughs> nice drawing by Jim Apparel, though. Not, not, not knocking the artwork. Great artwork. I love the, I love the couch. Yeah, the, the uh, Adam symbols on the couch. Yeah, it's, I didn't notice that until now. That's yeah, so cute. Yeah, they, are the, they are the nuclear family. Uh, next up, Nuclon, also by Jerry Ordway and Mike Macklin. You can pretty much take what I said about Northwind and just transpose it here. Uh, beautiful artwork. I've never been totally sold on this character. I always thought he was just kind of a doofus. Uh, I feel like if they ever made an Infinity movie, he would be played by Jason Siegel. But uh, the artwork is God. the artwork is is fantastic. You know, it just is. We see him lifting weights. We see him. Uh, there's a photo of him posing with um, with Adam, with the Adam, who is his godfather, who is of course like half his height. We see him with some machinery. We see him close up with his mom. Uh, we see him with Infinity Ink. It's just beautiful drawing. Now here's the here's where we'll digress on as far as opinion of the character. Now as Nuclon, yes, I never really had any passion for him, even when he was in the Justice League of America with Obsidian, it was just blah, but once he became Atom Smasher he became a very interesting character, Okay. and so I actually have a lot of passion for this character but it all comes from the later years, the Jeff Johns type of era, but anyway um, am I reading this right, was he raised by Firebrand, Danny Riley? Danette Riley um, I don't know, are we reading that? Well, it says it says the second firebrand who was actually Den- Denette Riley, Doctor Curtis's former fiance and original and the original yeah, Adam, Adam Al Pratt. Adam on firebrand so too. Raised, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, he didn't. They, they didn't raise Nuclon. They raised his mother, Terry, uh, which I thought was really, um, like raised him for a couple of weeks or her whole life. So does that <laughs> mean he's sort of like you know his grandma, if you will, is firebrand? Because that is well, maybe super that's, cool. Maybe that's supposed to be her in the photo there in the background. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's a good question. Right, uh, no, that's, that's, that's his mother. Never mind. You think so? All right. Oh, no, it's Terry, but not Firebrand. So anyway, All right, okay. um, someone who read Infinity Inc., um, would, that might be interesting to tell us. You know. Anyway, other than that, amazing Ordway Arts, and you should definitely check out his JSA letter appearances for him as Adam Smasher. All right. Uh, next up, yet another member of Infinity Inc., again by Jerry Ordway and Mike Macklin. I don't know why I said there was a lot of Omega Men in this issue. There's a lot of Infinity Inc. in this issue. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm going to say what I just said just a second ago. Uh, you know, I didn't realize I, these individual Infinity characters are really not that great. When they're together as a team, they were super cool. I loved Obsidian's uniform. I think he was really cool. Uh, I think he's a great-looking character. Uh, again, I, I don't have a lot of fun memories from him as an individual person. Um, but, boy, the artwork is, is really nice. Really, really nice. Oh, it's absolutely gorgeous. You made a point that he would have made a totally kick-ass superpowers action. Ah, yes. 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 And, you know, that would have been right up there with, like, the black costume. Like, the black costume Spider-Man Secret Wars action figure was, like, so friggin' cool. And the Obsidian would have been that equivalent in the power, superhero powers line. It would have yeah, been like, oh, that that's awesome. Neat. I would really need to say. Such a troubled character. I um, There's sort of a, a disappointment. 
point to me. By the way, what he, so he's in the foreground. He's jumping down, and in the background, he's using his shadow powers and stuff like that. There's a picture of him with his sister Jenny, because he's half half sister, or is it full sister? Yeah, I yeah, guess. yeah. He's sister. Okay, is Jade? Yes. So, which I, I always kind of struggle with why that was. Everyone treated like it was obvious that they were brother and sister, and it was obvious they're Green Lantern's daughter. You know, he's obviously Green Lantern's son. I'm like, how is any of that obvious? Her, yes. Him, how? What? Anyway. Uh, troubled character always seemed to be struggling with is either his identity or, you know, what he should, you know, why is he not a, a good guy? You know, he has dark powers. Does that make him a bad guy? Whatever. And then when he came out of the closet, it's sort of like, why can't you have DC? Why can't you just have a well-adjusted gay character? Why did you have to take one of your totally <laughs> maladjusted characters and make him gay? You know, that I think that sends a bad message. So either way, beautiful art. Yeah, <laughs> we keep coming back to that. Yeah, I love in the powers he can cause someone emotional agony by covering his victim's shadow form and uh, psychically inducing the victim to face some inner horror in the victim's own mind. That's kind of cool. I like that. Um, they he was used really effectively in Kingdom Come, uh, albeit very briefly. Uh, like you would see him in the background. And they, he would be doing stuff, and uh, the, the, he used part of Batman's strike force when they attack the when they double cross the villains, uh, Lex Luthor and Vandal Savage and stuff. And you see Obsidian, but at this point, Obsidian is dressed like uh, the Shadow. He's in a trench coat and a and a and a hat. He doesn't look like this. And at one point, you see him grab one of the villains and basically suck the guy into this black void in his jacket. And next you see, in the next panel, the villain has just disappeared entirely. And you see Obsidian tipping his hat towards Batman like, did my job. Uh, I huh. remember it was one of my favorite moments of Kingdom Come, and it's all in the background. I, I don't it. even remember that. Yeah, I'll have to go back and look. It really sounds like cool. um, Cloak from Cloak and Dagger. Yeah, yes, yeah, it's very similar to that. It was really cool. I don't think he ever gets a line in the entire series, but I, that was really one of my favorite bits. I thought, what a neat way to use this character. So, I, I always like the way they used him in Crisis, you know, fighting the shadow beings yeah. at this point. I thought that was cool. Yeah, visually, these these Infinity Ink characters are killer. Uh, next up, Ocean Master. Yay, dun, Aquaman! Dun, dun, uh, uh, drawn by Craig Hamilton. Very, very nice. And this thing is, as usual with Craig Hamilton's work, designed within an inch of its life. Uh, <laughs> it's really beautiful. He he relates a whole timeline of, of, of Ocean Master in just this little bottom rung here. We see him as a young punk. Uh, ignoring the pleas from his brother to not be a jerk. And then we see him as Ocean Master, and then we see him in the final form in this sort of new, magicized, extreme version of Ocean Master, which debuted in the um, miniseries, the uh, 1985 miniseries. His first appearance is Aquaman number 29. Uh, it's a beautiful drawing. I love the logo. The water's dripping off his hand like he's rising. Um, Craig Hamilton drew Ocean Master rising out of the water while the water is also dripping over the panel that is reflecting his past history. I think it's a beautifully designed image. It's really, really great. I did, that mask looks like it'd be hard to get through doors with, but that's, that's <laughs> not, that's not for, that's not for us to discuss right now. The, the logo is incredibly striking. I, it, it's silly, but like the moon over the water just adds so much to that shot of the ocean. I can't explain why I, I'm not an artist. I, I can't put my finger on it, but that, Adds such a meaningful piece to the ocean for me. Hmm. 
And Aquaman, as you said, pleading with his brother, he actually has his hand on Orm's shoulder, which conveys so much emotion in just that little tiny piece. Yep. Amazing. You know, we talk about how certain who's who, who's peach, who's who pieces can sort of like cause a character to become more popular or stay around simply because the piece is so amazing. Like Blackbire Thorn, we always said kind of like we think he, he hung around because of the who's who entry, whatever. This piece should have launched Ocean Master into being a top-notch sorcery character and stayed there because yeah. it looks that awesome. Yeah. He's never really been used for any other hero. He's never really bothered to take on any other superheroes He's for some reason. Uh, I mean, his base of operations, the seven seas. So he's got, you know, some property to, to work in. 75% of the planet. Yeah. Uh, but he's basically just been relegated to being an Aquaman villain. Not that Aquaman has so many villains he can afford to give any away, but just, <laughs> just, just considering the vastness of his ambitions. Um, I'm sort of surprised that he's never run into any other characters, but it took until Jeff Johns uh, and throne of Atlantis. Right. Well, and that's fair to say that this is a different version of ocean master than what's out there right now. This, right. whereas that one was raised in the sea, this one was raised on the land. Right. So the, the shared, uh, relative here is Aquaman's father, father Tom, yeah. the lighthouse keeper. Yes. Yeah, so, I always thought it was a great dynamic that they that they had. They hinted at it in the original book, and then they sort of brought it – did it much more explicit in the miniseries by Posner and Hamilton where they talked about that the reason Ocean Master resents his brother so much is because uh, he was born without any powers. And the father, Tom Curry, just could not help but favor the older son who, of course, had all these amazing abilities and just looked at – Orm as this ordinary, regular person. And, uh, you know, you get the pain of that, of what that would feel like to feel that your father favors the brother over you and through no fault of your own. I think that was a great hook. Um, it's well done in the miniseries. It's, it's in some couple flashbacks we see Ocean Master's mother and that she was sort of a plain woman, a sort of regular woman, and she could not possibly live up to, you know, Atlanta you know, who was the right. queen of Atlantis. So I think that was a great hook um, for, for Ocean Master. Hook. <laughs> no pun intended. Uh, you know, this was, again, this was, like you talked about, that he should have been sort of catapulted into the bigger tier of villains. You know, that whole miniseries was, should have led to greater things, and it, it didn't. So, you know, we got a taste of that here. Is that this is a beautiful drip. Maybe my favorite one in the book. It's, it's absolutely striking. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. And, um... You, you make a good point about just that miniseries. The entire miniseries should have done more. That blue costume should have gone further. Yeah. You know, it should have been not, you know, I think it may have been a case of like the Perez sort of thing. Someone draws a character and no one else can replicate the cool factor of it. But that may have been the problem. Because I haven't seen many people make the blue costume look good after that. But either way, the, the thing that struck me when I read this was just, I don't, in my mind, when I think of Ocean Master Nakaman's relationship, I never think about them actually growing up in the same house because to me I guess maybe it's the Peter David post era where they you know half brothers I don't know what it is but I never think about them growing up in the same house you're like having to share a bathroom you come on Orm get out of the bathroom I gotta get ready for school come on I need the water it's been 24 it's been 23 hours get out of there <laughs> whatever but um it's just I, I I really love this page I'm not touching you I'm not touching you dad stop stop touching <laughs> I'm not touching you Arthur I'm not touching you you know, that kind of silly crap you know, 
He looks like a little bit like that twi- uh, Aquaman in the Serpent. He looks a little bit like that Twilight kid, Patrick, or whatever his name is. Robert Pattinson. Yeah, yeah, yeah like Pattinson. He looks God. a little bit like him. Uh, we got to move on. Uh, Olympian Gods by George Perez and Dick Giordano. Uh, there's a lot to fit in here, so it's mostly just them standing around. But it's Perez and Giordano, and it looks really beautiful. It's a very nice image. I mean, these are the Atlantean gods from... The Olympian gods from pretty much like all the various DC histories, Hercules, Wonder Woman, the whole bit. Um, you know, I love the little insets of the heads. It's done a little differently. It's, it's pulled in a little tighter. So we really don't see most of their heads. It's just most of it's just their faces for the most part. Uh, but, you know, beautifully rendered. Yeah, it's a gorgeous piece with not a lot of space. However, and sorry, this is where I had to bring it up to, for the comparison. This is somewhat like the Perez Giordano covers that we've seen on who's do for the last several issues where it's nice composition. The art's great, but when you really get in there in the, in the smaller pieces, a lot of the details lost. And if you can compare it to this cover with this Perez where all the details sharp, it just, it sort of demonstrates the point I've been making. You get pissed at me for it. So there you have it. Now it's sort of also interesting to note that this is like 15 minutes before Perez wipes all this shit out. Yeah, or, yeah, that's right. it, or not wipes it out, but just he identifies his version of the Greek pantheon. And, it, I mean, that's literally about to happen. So this is, you know, the last time we see the Greek gods in yeah. this sort Form, of way. Yeah. Yep, that's true. Yep. Beautiful drawing, though. I like uh, Poseidon sitting there with his fishy legs on the mountain. Oh, they all look great. How do you I get mean, up there? I, Hephaestus, I love Hephaestus's look. I think he looks cool. Looks very, you know, rugged, sort of, you know, someone you would expect to be making weapons. You know, the women yeah. look gorgeous and sexy and showing some skin, and the guys look tough. And you know, there's Zeus with his thunderbolts. It's a, it's a, it's a great looking piece. Yeah, I do love whoever wrote this entry. It says Aphrodite was born from the uh, sea foam and became the goddess of love. She created the Amazons. And is their chief goddess. She's the mother of Eros, god of love, who once stirred up trouble when he was rejected by Wonder Woman. Stirred up trouble. <laughs> Such a nice way of putting it. But I think what it kind of a lot of this is is in this. We'll see this again later because there's another Wonder Woman centric entry. Um, a lot of this is just Greek mythology, and they're trying to squeeze in some comic book facts. It's kind of what it is. It's more Greek mytholo- mythology text, and they're yeah. like, oh, and you know, they're Wonder Woman. Yeah, throw her name in there once or twice. <laughs> oh, by the way, Dr. Psycho. Yeah, all right. This is, yeah, all right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, very nice drawing. Uh, next up, OMAC, One Marin Army Corps, drawn by, of course, Jack Kirby and Greg, Thies- Greg Thiexton. Um, I always have a soft spot for this character just because it is one of Kirby's most insane concepts and that's saying something uh this this was kirby just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what would stick and uh, it's you know it's one of those things where you look back and you're like you know what made anybody think this would sell and they keep trying i mean they you know omac was given to this day omac was given a you know a prime spot as one of the new 52 and it was the first book to go down so uh you know buddy buddy blank he's a lot visually he's He's compelling as all get out with that mohawk and then the orange and blue and the yellow. He looks great. And in this pose, he's yelling. He's really mad. He's super. And we see him in the background there hurling a bunch of guys all at once because he is super strong, of course. So uh, it's cool. It's 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 OMAC. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, of all the various incarnations of the character, you know, there's this version. There's the recent one. There's the OMAC robots from Infinite Crisis. There's all these different. There's, there's been a few other OMACs as well. 
this is probably the version that holds up the strongest. This is the version that makes the idea work the best. Uh, I will say this particular drawing, not great. Uh, yeah, it's not. And and I'm not saying that as a cur- as anything a knock to Kirby because in the previous couple of issues we've had some amazing Kirby pieces. Yeah, yeah. This one unfortunately is just not one of his greatest. Yeah. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. But, but I agree. I have, I have sort of a soft spot for the character as well. And uh, and here it talks about you know, the crisis, the great, uh, and how after the crisis, the great disaster may never have ha- happened. So it's sort of like it, it kind of says here it is. Due to the crisis on infinite earth, the great disaster never occurred. However, and just goes on as if ignore that previous sentence. Continues <laughs> to tell you it's like, well, oh my, probably never happened. But here's more about it. It's like why yeah. stick that in the middle? Why? <laughs> We kid you, Omac. Uh, next up is a two-page spread, the first one of the book, The Omega Men, uh, drawn by Sean McManus once again. Uh, there's a lot of characters to fit in, so they're mostly just all just standing around. Um, the only problem I have with McManus's artwork here, he makes a lot of the characters look very scrawny. And, like, in particular, Tigor looks mm-hmm. old and kind of desiccated and not at all the sort of sharp, feral guy that he was in, in the um, the actual series. Um, at some point, I don't think I stuck with Omega Man until the end. I think I gave up on it, at, like, maybe two-thirds of the way into the book. Because a lot of these characters I don't remember. I yeah. don't have any memory of, 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 like, Zimmel and some of the other ones. I'm just like, who? Who are they? Rhinoch? Who are these people? So, um... And I never. Unfortunately, up through Nimbus, I have very clear memory of all these characters. Yeah. Who's <laughs> who entries? And I never, I never really cottoned to Primus's new punk David Bowie look, David Bowie Road Warrior look, because uh, he he had long hair and then he changed it, and I I never totally bought that. But it's a nice drawing. It's not one of my favorites by McManus, but um, you know, I said it's it's a nice piece. They're all, I mean, standing around posing, so. I actually I like this better than the Nimbus piece. I think you get a lot of nice detail on the characters. Even though I agree, T- Tigor doesn't look like the representations I always see him. I like this piece of art. I think that is a cool looking character. You just I have to separate it from being Tigor. Yeah, uh, I, 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 it looks very Shawn McManus. This is the Shawn McManus kind of stuff I remember from like his Doctor Fate days. It looks great. Lots of cute detail. Really interesting faces. I love it. I love the art. The, the text is thankfully fairly small, and I don't have to read a lot about the Omega Men. It's enough to go, wow, this sounds like an interesting science fiction story that I'm never going to read. <laughs> now, did you mention how they have all the little inset heads? Like, No, I didn't. Style? I didn't. Uh, I do like uh, Elu, who is just a blob of energy, still manages to get kind of his head popping into the thing. <laughs> they just sort of cut it off. Right. Uh, and I like that character Doc, who is just a view screen for a face. Uh, He's cool. Looking. He looks like Wally. Uh, a good thirty years before that movie came out, uh, and this continues the tradition of like having characters out of time, sort of because by this point, uh, Demonia and uh, Harpus, their sisters, Demonia had been murdered, and Harpus or uh, Harpies had had her rings ripped off. But here, she's they look normal, and they're with all the other characters. And this is just not meant to be a literal shot. It's more of a abstract representation of all the characters in the book. As opposed to them, because they they were never all in the book at the same time. Gotcha. So. There's two characters here, uh, Ryander and Yindi. All I can think, because I didn't read the series and we haven't got to their entries yet, all I can think of is Wily Kid and Wily Cat from Thundercats. So <laughs> well, this is it for them. They don't get listings in Who's Who. Separate listings. Woo-hoo! 
Thank so goodness. yeah, yeah they, they, not every not every one of the well you know what I think Reander did, but the other one didn't. Linda, Linda I, or whatever did. I think up till Nimbus, every single character on the left hand side alphabetically has gotten an entry. Uh, well, so, Doc didn't. I uh, thought Doc, he did. No, Doc did not, and neither did Aaron, uh, the guy up the top of the dome head. But the rest uh, of them did. So. Mr. Freeze, you mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, so anyway, that's the Omega Men, folks. Enjoy it. Uh, next up is Onyx. Art oh, by... Is, who? Onyx. Onyx? Onyx. Onyx, Onyx. I guess it should be Onyx. Yeah. Onyx? Onyx. 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 All right. By Jerome Moore and Del Barris. Jerome, Jerome Moore, also known as Jerome K. Moore. A very underrated artist. He really, really good stuff. Uh, we were talking about the Aquaman miniseries a couple pages ago. He was actually tapped to replace Craig Hamilton on oh. the Aquaman miniseries that was supposed to be a direct sequel to the 85 miniseries, but uh, that didn't work out. And there are some... Oh, yeah, there, would have been so nice. There is uh, a couple pages of the artwork that exist out there. I posted one of them on the Shrine a bunch of years ago. And it's, it's really nice stuff. And unfortunately, they basically hired Jerome with the edict of uh, imitate Craig Hamilton, which, you know, that can't be fun for anybody who's mm. you know, subsumed your own style. But it, even, so Craig Hamilton didn't, didn't work out on that miniseries, and then they replaced him in Drone King Moore, and that didn't work out. So we lost out both different times. Uh, I don't really remember this character. She was a backup character from the Green Arrow strip in Detective mm-hmm. Comics. Uh, I read that strip, but I just have virtually no memory of her at all. She looks cool, though. <laughs> she is... Like a perfect uh, culmination of eighties looks. Yes, yes, like it's very much so. She's got the now. I say that with love in my heart. Just know that as I go through this, she's got these giant puffy boots. You know, very pirate esque. You know, knee high boots. She's got the sash around her waist. She's got big shoulders. She's got a you know an asymmetrical thing going on with her sleeves. She's got the, the little cape and the big hair and the whatever the little headband thing. I mean, she. Yep. Black and white. She couldn't look more 80s. I mean, she actually looks like a character created nowadays from the 80s, like a, a fake retro character. She looks so 80s. It's a, it's a hoot. I love it. I absolutely love it. And, I, yes, I have no recollection of her whatsoever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she was basically a, you know, Green Arrow Batman-type villain who didn't have any superpowers uh, but was like a, a you know, Olympic-level hand-to-hand combatant and new weapons and stuff like that. So that was sort of – that was her bit. She was – said, You said villain. I, that's the way she reads, did she I reads say like villain? hero. I meant hero. I don't know if I did. I didn't mean to say villain if I did. I meant hero. Um, yeah, she was like one of those characters. I don't know whatever happened to her outside of the Green Arrow strip once that strip ended in Detective Comics. So. I don't know. It's, uh, it's in addition to being cool, it's, it's kind of hot too, kind of sexy. Yeah, it's a great drawing. She's a maniac, maniac mm-hmm. on the floor. Uh, Next up up is Orion by Jack Kirby and Greg Deeson. Orion has the weirdest pose. He's either doing curls with a barbell that we don't see, (laughs) or he's sort of bemoaning something. He's like, why me? Why me? The the mother box has created invisible weights for him. There you go. Perfect. Uh, His occupation, warrior. Yeah. That's it. That's all I have to say about Orion, really. It's, it is a bland piece. It really <laughs> is. I love Ryan. I really do. It's another Kirby where, like, oh, man, I, he could have done so much more with this piece and just, I don't know, maybe having an off day or whatever. So, it, missed opportunity for a super cool character. Yeah. And he and was. I don't, think we need, I don't think we need to go into too much detail on Ryan. I mean, 
everyone knows he's Darkseid's son. Yes. Know, he's fighting on the side of right, yada, yada, yada. We've talked about the new, new gods so much in the show. There's nothing new to be said here about yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> and he was yeah. made into a superpowers figure. So is that. Did it? Oh, he had the weird helmet. That's right. Yeah, the weird yeah. helmet. Yeah, yeah. They get turned his face around. But. So um, next up is OSS, the Office Woo! of Strategic Services, which is basically the 1940s version of the CIA uh, before there was such a thing. Uh, this is drawn by Rick Estrada, who did not do very much Who's Who work. This guy, I think Rick Estrada was really underrated. He was somebody who's another one of those guys. Frank Robbins was another one who I did not like when I was a kid. I just didn't like Delbrook, and I look at it now, and I love it. I'm like, what, what did I, I don't understand. Why didn't I like it? It's funky. It's cartoony, but well-drawn. Um, we see the, the four characters here, and then they've got the uh, control guy who is clearly their puppet master, and here Rick Stratton means that, literal, drawing it literally as the puppet master. I love how he incorporates the logo into the drawing. Uh, I think it's a – and then in the background, there is a ton of stuff going on. We see Nazis, and there's a bunch of stars, and there's other things going on. It is – he's jam-packed, this artwork. I mean, he fits in a ton of stuff. It is a really nice – it makes me want to read these strips. Now, I know they probably won't live up to this, that it's kind of what Who's Who is all about. But, uh, boy, they, they look like a lot of fun. It's one of my favorite drawings in the book. Yeah. I absolutely love it. Now, um, Rick did draw – some of those OSS stories. So that makes sense. Uh, that makes sense. Sure. Now, OSS was a real thing, right? Yes. Yeah. That's it. Was a, okay. yeah. It was a real organization before the C, before there was a CIA. There was an OSS. Okay. And I always I said this before in the show. I always get mixed up. I always think it's I always think of OSI, which is who the six million dollar man worked for, Oscar. <laughs> I always get that confused. I mean, they're both you know top secret spy agencies. They both have OS in the name, whatever. Anyway. um, Really cool. Like, if you read the story here, it's tragic and heartbreaking about what Control has to go through. He has to watch his wife be murdered and essentially causes his wife to be murdered in order to maintain the secrets he needs to do. And that's why he gets the job of being Control. It's like, oh, my God, you, you kept your mouth shut and that got your wife executed and you just sat there and took it. You got the job. You're the boss now. <laughs> you know. And uh, I like how the, uh, Rick drew the scarf. It, it The way that... The scarf is blowing. It almost looks like a superhero cape. I mean, it's True. really well done. He's so big. And, and um, what's that guy's name? Falcon is just running at you with a machine gun. Da, 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 da. You know, it's like, oh, oh. I just love this. So you're right. I, I would love to see like a showcase or something of this. Yeah, I mean, because they, they it was a feature in GI Combat. So, I mean, unless you're willing to dig through all those old issues of GI Combat to find it, you're just, you know, you're not going to read it because it wasn't a full-on book. You know, it was only a yep. feature. So, yeah, this this would make – this is this is the makings of a, um, a showcase edition. Absolutely. This this one's going on the Tumblr, folks. Very yeah. cool. And Dean and, and Fleur are sexy, too, by the way. Very, it's very nice. It's great. Mm-hmm. I said I'm, you know, I'm a sucker for stuff in the 40s anyway, so this is super cool. Uh, from the sublime to the ridiculous is but a step. <laughs> uh, next up is the outs- page turn. <laughs> next up is the outsider drawn by Carmen Infantino and Carl Kiesel. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Alfred Pennyworth was killed off in the '60s Batman comics for a while, and he returned, although we didn't know that, as a bad guy known as the Outsider, and he is completely ridiculous. There is there, there no. No, they should have never. Alfred does not turn into a supervillain. Just stupid. This is just stupid. You should describe the character. He is he is nude except for a little purple trunks 
and he's got scaly skin. He basically looks like an all-white version of The Thing, uh, except he's got, like, well, you know what, an all-white version of, like, Killer Croc, almost. Yes. He's got, like, scaly skin and the little purple trunks, and in the background we see Batman punching him to no avail. We see him throwing something on Robin, and then we see him being turned into the Outsider. This is just one of those, you know, like, breaks the goofy meter ideas. I have a lot to say about this. Um, it pisses me off because I've, I've, you know, pointed out several times Alfred should have had his own entry. He shouldn't have had to be buried in this. Second of all, if you are going to bury Alfred in this entry, you should give some text about Alfred. I mean, this text is all about the outsider. Yeah. There should be text about Alfred himself in here, not just the, the outsider story. Uh, the character is ridiculous looking, as you said. It looks very Kurt Swan, even though Carmen Infantino drew it. It just, it gets under my skin. Now, here's a little bit of interesting history for you. Like, this character came back recently in both the Flashpoint world, the Flashpoint universe, whatever. There was a storyline called The Outsider, and the dude looked just like this. Mm -hmm. And then The Outsider showed up in Trinity War. And you, you couldn't quite see him other than you knew he's white, and he wore like a bowler hat. And for me... I never had any question as to who the Outsider was through Flashpoint and Trinity War. And when, when it was revealed who he was, you know, from Earth 3, you know, everyone was like, well, what? Oh, my gosh. And it's like, how did you not know that? You know, it's, I guess, who, who corrupted me so much with this ridiculous knowledge that it just, to me, there was never doubt it was connected to Alfred Pennyworth somehow. Anyway, I, who's who messed me up? Yeah, this is just I, – I do – although I you know, I have to say the powers and weapons here. Uh, his advanced brain is also capable of mastering scientific principles that today's savants cannot begin to understand. So there's that. <laughs> there you have it. Okay. I, feel, I feel like I'm very negative in this issue. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, next up is The Outsiders – I'm, I'm not about to become any more positive. Yeah, drawn by, drawn by, of course, Jim Aparo, uh, Black Lightning, Geoforce, Halo, Katana, Looker, Metamorpho, and Dr. Jace, one of the least exciting members of the team. Uh, it's a nice drawing. There is not a lot, keeping with all the other Outsiders listings, not a lot of uh, history here. Uh, big, big two pages of the heroes flying at you, except for Dr. Jace, who is uh, off in the background taking notes. So, uh, <laughs> in the Outsiders movie, she'll be played by B.B. North, channeling Lily, Lily Stern and Crane and the Cheers. Very um, good. Uh, you know, I mean, everybody knows how much I love Jim Aparo. I don't think this is one of his best pieces. I don't know why this one misses for me. It just kind of does a little. I, I can't put my finger on it, but it just, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's just not great. I think it works fine. I, I, I don't have a problem with the piece other than it probably should have been one page rather than two. I get why they got two pages, but the art is so um, sparing that yeah. it would have worked better on one page. Yeah. Now, you do get all the heads again. We, a lot of Justice League head lineup sort of things this issue, and I didn't really notice that until now, like a lot of these little head insets. The head insets are, are a little disappointing. Um, they're not as well. Like Katana and Looker kind of stand out, but unfortunately, I don't know that it really can make Looker look good. And just, oh, I hate that character so much. <laughs> it, but you know, it's, the the text is sort of light. It gives you a little blurb on each character. But after reading their Who's Who entries already, it's like Halo. You know, oh, she's Gabrielle Doe. She controls her powers. Blah blah blah. I'm like, no, she's a little dead girl. That's who she is. <laughs> and then Katana, you know, talks about, oh, she's the samurai. Like, no, she's got her dead husband and a sword. 
You know, it's like I, I was like yelling at the entry, saying, like, "You're leaving out all the you know, things that make these characters creepy." So, I will say a missed opportunity here is they should have had in the serpent like Batman walking away from the team or something. Should yeah, have been that's true. Here. Yes, I. You know, I never thought of that before, but you're absolutely right. There should have been some way of visually representing that they were formed by Batman and then he walked off like a crazy, crazy person. Uh, so that's a, that's a shame. I mean, they got two pages because they were starring in two books by that point. They were obviously one of DC's better sellers. Oh, well, yeah. I guess there was, there's, they did have two at this yeah, point, didn't they? It's been split off from Outsiders, to, from Batman the Outsiders to Outsiders and Tales of the Outsiders, like they did with New Teen Titans and Legion. That said, the next listing, Outsiders HQ, completely unnecessary. <laughs> the, the, out, the Outsiders base was not so legendary at this point that it required its own listing. This, this, I would is, agree with that. this, this is a waste of a page. It was drawn by Jim Aparo. Um, was it really, though? Like, clearly he drew the figures on the bottom. Yeah, I don't think he drew the schematic of the I, of I don't the think thing. he drew the schematic. Yeah. I really don't. No, I don't think so. Either. They probably got that somebody in-house to do that. I mean, it's nice. It's fine. It, you know, it's it's a, you know. It's Outsiders HQ. I don't know what else is there to say about it. It it does it does not need to be here. This does not is not necessary at all. It's funny though. It made me realize some things like this entry and the entry before talk a lot about Markovia, a lot about Markovia, and it's like I don't. I, I didn't read the comic really, even though I own most of the issues. Like, did was Markovia really played up that much in the comics? You know, this ba- this station was built at a cooperative venture between the United States and Markovia to, to find alternative energy sources, which, by the way, I'm laying the fault of uh, not having alternative energy sources directly at the feet of the outsiders, by the way, <laughs> because this base was built for that purpose, to find alternative energy off the course of, like, I don't know, North Carolina or no, California. Anyway, and what they ended up doing is the outsiders secretly use it as a base. The only people that know are some Mark- Markovian folks and the outsiders. They don't bother to tell the United States who paid for half the base, who is off the coast of their country, and there is no staff in the entire friggin' station other than Dr. Jace. So it's like, <laughs> what a scam. Our tax dollars went to pay for this damn thing to find alternative energy, and now we're sitting here in 2014 begging to have hybrid cars when we could have back in 1987 and done something about it? Screw you, outsiders, okay? <laughs> who killed the electric car? The outsiders did. you damn right. Yeah. We've let's just move on. We've already spent enough time on this. Uh, next up is Pack Rat from Atari Forest, drawn by Mike Chen and Joe DiBito. I believe is how you say his name. DiBadio. I don't know how you pronounce that. Yeah, I think it's an L. Delbito. Del. Oh, I'm, okay. It's hard for me to see the L in there. Okay, uh, Joe Delbito. I guess uh, I love uh, the the pose that Mike Chen gave Pack Rat. It, it's a great. It tells you like kind of everything you need to know about the character. It's this kind of like. <laughs> kind of thing, you know. He's sort of hunched over because he just stole something. He's trying to not—he's trying not to get caught. Right. Um, he's, he's hiding it behind his back. He's hiding it behind his back. So yeah, it's definitely like he's. It it really is a great, great face that Chen put on there, and the this is the body language, everything else is really, really sharp. He first appeared in Atari Force Number One along with all those other characters. Um, I never read that book, so I don't really know much about him other than this. But th- this is probably my probably. I don't know if it's my favorite Atari First Century because a lot of the albums are drawn by JLGL, but uh, this Praise is Praise name. Praise name. But this one is is really quite good. 
This is great. I absolutely love this one. The line work is really nice, and I, I, I don't know whether that's more Mike Chen or the inking, but the, the, the line work is really sharp. It's, it's got some neat little touches and angles to it. Um, it. There's a lot going on. I mean, you get in the Serpent, you get him you know, cracking a safe. You get a nice close-up of his face. You get him being shot at by a bad guy and running in a very sort of like action pose. You got him as a Berserker Rage in the back, which, by the way, tells you it's an 80s comic because there's Berserker Rage, especially because it's quoted as Berserker Rage. It's like, oh, it's totally 80s. Okay. And um, I love it. I think it's a great drawing. I think there's some funny bits in here. Like, he's of a rodent race. He's he's basically a rat, an anthropomorphic rat. And his brother's name is, like, one vowel away from being rodent. It's riddent. (laughs) And they actually reference him and his brother. His brother's a good guy. Packrat's kind of a you know, a scoundrel with a heart of gold. So there's a cat and mouse game being played. I mean, there's just some nicely turn of phrase in here. I, I love this entry. Very 80s logo, too. Okay, that was disappointing. That's true. I think, you know, we <laughs> joke about it. It's like Todd Klein, you know, we joke that they knocked a logo out right on their way to lunch. He didn't even do that. He's like, I just need to find a font, you know, <laughs> font, font. Ah, there we go. Use that, you know, light bulb font from the 80s. Okay, that'll work. After your 50th logo of, you know, of that morning, you're probably a little tired. So. And I don't, I don't mean to put that at the feet of Todd Klein. I just know he did a bunch of these. Yes. Uh, next up is Paradise Island, of course, the original from All-Star Comics number 8, Wonder Woman's home base, drawn by Jose Delbo and Greg Theakston. That's interesting. Two of my teachers at the Cuber School have pages right in a row here. Greg uh, thinks one of your teachers. Yes. No. Uh, the uh, Jose Delbo. Oh, Jose Delbo. Oh, gave, oh, okay. Gave me a bad grade. I never got over it. Uh, this <laughs> is <laughs> Paradise Island. Everybody knows what Paradise Island is all about. We see some insets of um, some of the things there. There's Reform Island, which is an island of an island. The Coliseum, where girls fight one another, which is hot. The Kanga Races, the temple where they pray to their gods, and then Silence Island, which is another little satellite island here. And there's like the landing strip. That's not a dirty metaphor. The landing strip where people can land their planes or whatever. Of course, not then. Uh, oh, my God. Would, would, would everyone listening please take note who went down Perf Street just then? It wasn't me. It, was <laughs> it is Paradise Island. It really is. Uh, no, it's great. It's, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a nice drawing. There's not a lot to say about it. In the, the Serpent, there's some of the Amazons, including, including, uh, Hippolyta there. Um, oddly, I guess that's supposed to be Diana riding the Kanga. It looks like her. Um, it, but it, it could be anybody, but yeah. It could be anybody. But we, but, but generally they refrain from showing Wonder Woman in this drawing, which is interesting. I'm not sure if that was good or bad, but it's an interesting idea to, kind of give it more of its own identity of not putting Wonder Woman. I mean, she's all over the history of it. But uh, but in terms of the drawing, you really don't see her. You know, it, the, the serpent is those three characters in the back. I thought they were supposed to be the gods at first. And then I kept looking at them and I'm like, why is a god wearing glasses? And it was really, really bothering me until I figured out, okay, in the front is uh, Hapala. Yeah. And she's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. She really is. Done it, and then I, it took me a while to realize that person with the glasses has got to be Paula von Gunther, who's actually from outside Paradise Island, one of the few strangers that was granted access to the island, and she's actually become their chief scientist. That must be who that is, and, it's, and it, it sort of backs it up if you look at the Science Island drawing. It's the same person. I don't know who's in the background. The big warrior lady, though, I don't know mm. who that is. No, me neither. I'm sure Frank would. I think there's a lot to say about this drawing. Actually, it's it's really cool. Again, it's a glimpse into. Uh, the Wonder Woman's world 
moments before it's all changed. Yes. Now, it, it, as you said, it mentions Reform Island and Science Island, but in the text, it doesn't mention Science Island. It mentions Forbidden Island, which I thought was really strange. They're sort of contradictory because the text says there's only two islands nearby, Reform Island and Forbidden Island. <laughs> but there's, science, there's a bridge even going to Science Island. What are you talking about? I see it right there. Anyway, the text is really Do not get Hippolyta mad because then the traffic will get blocked on the way to the Science Island. You don't want that. <laughs> I don't know if you took the time to read the entry. I mean, it's another one of these huge, huge chunks of Greek uh, mythology in there. Just tons and tons of it. And then they sort of sprinkle comic book things, like two-thirds of the whole entry on the bottom. And there is a lot of text. It's Greek mythology. Now, there's interesting stuff. Like, there's two, according to this, there's two different Themysciras. And uh, neither one we're at the on the Amazon. Like, wouldn't Amazons come from the Amazon? <laughs> uh, well, not in this case. Okay, I okay. I thought they did. Anyway, doesn't matter anyway. Fifteen minutes, George Perez is going to change everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nice drawing, though. I mean, it's certainly one of the seminal places of the DC universe. Yeah, I'd, I'd hang out there. Funny, Paradise I'm, Island gets a listing. Metropolis, Gotham City do not. Just saying. Anyway, next well, up. Well, there's, there's that time Gotham City paraded as a, another character. I think it was uh, <laughs> you know, Captain Turtle Girl. And so, so the Captain Turtle Girl entry, Gotham City, you know, is in there. So yeah, maybe if Metropolis had wore a stupid domino mask and sunken over to Candor, they would have given it its own listing. Uh, <laughs> next up is The Parasite, drawn by Dennis Cowan and Frank McLaughlin, which is an unusual combination, to say the least. Um Interesting artwork here. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I love. The, I love his mouth. I'm not sure. I'm not sure it totally works, but I love his pose. His very squat pose, and he does look kind of like he doesn't fully understand what's going on. Um, he was always. I always thought this was kind of one of the more underrated Superman villains. Um, I think he would actually look kind of cool in a movie, but he'll, he's always getting passed over in favor of the 95th version of Luthor. Um, but I, I think he's, I think he was cool. I like the idea of a guy that can sap your powers. I mean, you know, it's hard to give Superman good villains, you know? Yep. Um, but this is a, I, I think this is neat. His vision, he's basically all purple except for these green trunks. He's got this little brief little stripe down his, down his chest. Uh, but I thought it was cool. It's kind of an underrated villain. I'm not sure this listing does it does him a whole ton of favors, but uh, you see him there in the background sapping the life out of Superman. That's pretty cool. Yep. You see him sapping the life out of Superman, and then you see him uh, as Halloween dressed up as Matt Murdock. As Matt Murdock, so. <laughs> yes, exactly. Now, it's interesting. Like This is probably the last appearance right here, I would think, of the pre-crisis parasite because they – they didn't change him dramatically, but they redid him. They relaunched him in post-crisis. Like, they retold his origin and all that. And do you know who, where he launched in post-crisis? No. Firestorm. Ah, okay. Parasite, post-crisis, Firestorm's first appearance where he actually transforms into the Parasite for the first time is all in, in Firestorm. So, and he was green for a while rather than... Actually, that may have been pre-crisis when he was green. Either way, he... 
he's an interesting character. I, I kind of liked him better in post-crisis. I think they did some interesting stuff with him. In pre-crisis, I didn't realize at one point he had a wife and kids and there was all these aliens involved and he was a genius. Like in post-crisis, when he absorbs the memories of people, it's only for a little while. Here he absorbed the memories of geniuses and kept them forever. And, of course, there's a whole reference to how he got locked up in Superman Island. Um, so. <laughs> Take that. There's a whole legal blog, by the way, about superheroes. that I'd love to see them talk about Paradise Island. <laughs> Is there really? Oh, yeah. It's it's called the, the Law and Superheroes or something like oh, that. Oh, cool. I, All right. I don't know the exact name, but you, you Google it. it. They've got a Twitter account and they've got a web page. And they, they actually look at, like, when, when Felicity um, – gosh, she's on Arrow. What the hell's her name? Felicity Smoke. Smoke when she yeah. sued Firestorm. They actually go through the case and talk about it from a legal point of view on this blog. It's really interesting. Huh. That does sound interesting. I like that. There used to I, be wish, a, I, I wish I could remember the exact name of the blog. I apologize. There used to be a column back in the Common Bar's Guide called The Laws and Ass by Bob Ingersoll, who did the same thing. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's cool. Um, yeah, so that's the parasite. Uh, next up is Pariah. And then after that is Patrick Mann. So, uh, Patrick Mann is... By- <laughs> wow! <laughs> really? <laughs> All right, Pariah by George Perez. Boring. <laughs> Not the art, though. I mean, the art's I, I, great. Robert's okay. You know what? I think it's okay. I think it's by George Perez standards. Not one of his better ones. Uh, but what? I think this character is... What? I think it's fine. A lot of dead The composition space. is great. It's a lot a of dead lot- space. No, it's not. It's not dead space. It's white space. It's the antimatter universe. Oh, yes. I see. Okay. That, it, that is an intentional design the element. Empty, empty space reflects the blandness of the character. It, well, it, that is probably true, too. I mean, there's not, there's not much there about the guy. You know, he, he's looking in the serpent. He's looking horrified at what he's done as the antimatter wipes out everything. In the, in the front, he is depressed he's downtrodden he's upset that's how this whole character of spent crisis is like I'm, I'm such a bad person you know the whole time just whining and then you know in the back you see the antimatter universe come blasting through it's no this is a gorgeous piece this is great this is it represents the character perfectly okay if you ever wanted eeyore as a superhero this is your man well he's not a superhero but yeah he's an you, know, character. you know what i mean come on he's flying around he looks like a superhero he's doing superhero-ish things so and then and every so often some writer gets their, too big for their britches and decides that their event is so important for I should show up for it. Oh, God. He's the, the, the Debbie Downer of superheroes. Yep. Uh, yeah, all right. Please, let's just move on. Next up is yeah. Patchwork Man, my favorite listing in the book. Uh, I think I said the other one was my favorite listing, Ocean Master, but this is actually my favorite. By Steve I think Bis- this is like your eighth favorite. But anyway. Yeah. By Steve Bissett, fan-damn-tastic. Um, it just it takes that original character created by Lynn Wein and Bernie Wrightson, and then just ramps up the creepiness by I mean he's a he's he's the Swamp Thing version of Frankenstein. I don't think anybody thinks anything else. Uh, but Bissett turns what was already a disturbing looking character into something even more horrific. The arms are terribly malformed and misshapen. I mean they're dropping. They're, you know he's. He's six eight, but the arms are dropping almost all the way down to the ground, and mm-hmm. he, he looks like he can barely stand up because his legs are so scrawny. Uh, on the background, we see him taking on Swamp Thing. We see him getting created, and we see a close up of his face. This is just it's good old fashioned nightmare fuel. And the entry, oh my god, the entry almost had me in tears. 
it is so sad about this man who he's, – he's essentially a businessman who his job r- rules his life. He's away from home too often, and, but he loves his daughter with all his heart. And it just it, – it all goes – he's Abigail Arcane's dad right. is who this is. you know. And the, the neighbors take her away from him because she, he's not taking good enough care of her, which is appropriate. But it's still he loves her so much. And then he gets transformed into this monster by his brother. And like he, he's confronting Swamp Thing and Abigail and she doesn't know it's her dad. And it's like, oh, God. I just, oh, yeah, break it's my, broke my heart. It's great. It's great. Um, it says, Patrick Mann – is barely able to think clearly enough to speak, let alone use weapons or hand-to-hand combat skills. However, his composite body gives him enough strength uh, to make other abilities unnecessary. So, I mean, he is strong enough. It, and I, I love the coloring on the one hand is slightly different of a different flesh tone than the rest of his arm to, you know, underscore the fact that that's someone else's hand that's gotten stitched on. Uh, oh, I think is great. That. Yeah, his his left hand is pinker than his arm is. The arm is more yeah. peach color. So it's it's a it's wonderful. It's a wonderful drawing. I mean, John Tolliban yes. was a great anchor for Steve Bissett, but Steve Bissett obviously could do it him could do it himself as well. It's a it's a it's a great great drawing. Yep. Uh, next up, piece the peacemaker. Sorry, the peacemaker, drawn by Keith Giffen and Gary Martin. Uh, eh, kind of a boring pose, frankly. He's just yep. sort of standing there. I mean, you know, okay. I mean, this is another one of the Charlton characters. Uh, much like Nightshade, he first appeared in Fight in Five, number 60. Um, they had one of the doofier helmets out there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> he's kind of got a bedpan on his head, really, for the most part. <laughs> um, but I liked him when uh, Paul Coverberg wrote him into Vigilante. I, I liked – he took Peacemaker to his logical conclusion. I thought, and really made him just this insane guy running around murdering everybody in the name of peace. I thought he was pretty cool. Well, and, and that's what I started mentioning when we were talking about the cover. At this point, at least per, per my research, Peacemaker had only appeared six times prior to Crisis. I thought he had a whole big, long run. And, and maybe you guys can come back and go, no, 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 he appeared 72 times at Charlton. But it, it Looks like, according to the comic book database, that he only appeared six times prior to Crisis. He had his so own title. I write, but, but briefly, that short-lived. Though. Briefly, yeah. And he doesn't read like the crazy character that comes later, the no, totally off no. the wall nuts character. So here he's sort of almost like a boring, uh, silver agey, you know, like I'm going to do right, you know, I'm going to fight for peace through, I'm going to fight for peace kind of thing. But later on, everyone made him batshit crazy. Yeah, you know, and and at some points also in his history, they've tried to go for that Punisher vibe, trying to get some of the Punisher action off of it. And interestingly enough, this is the only time Keith Giffen's ever really drawn the character. So what I think was going on here was I think Keith drew the character and probably put in a pitch to do a Peacemaker series that never came to be. Okay. Because it just feels like Keith's working this. You know, it feels like Keith wanted this, and it feels like, oh, I got an idea on what I could do with this character, and he never got the chance. Interesting. Hmm. Could be wrong. That's my um, take. I do like the motif of the bullet holes in the page. Yep. Uh, per, and there's yellow popping through the bullet holes as if you're seeing through the drawing. If, oh, I didn't if, notice that. If DC really wanted to be, uh, to be uh, uh, kitschy, you would have seen the per degaton <laughs> listing through those bullet holes. <laughs> uh, that would have been awesome. I guess that probably would have been a little too much, 
But uh, I think that would have been really neat. <laughs> that, that, that's a 90s gimmick there. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Uh, let's not bring that up again. Uh, but, yeah, so that's the Peacemaker. I love his little logo of the dove. Very sweet. So uh, next up is Jack Dower's favorite, The Penguin, drawn by Howard Bender and Bill Wright. Now, The Penguin, great villain or greatest villain? Um, wow. First appearance, first appearance in Detective Comics number 58. He is, uh, you know... What every all of the, we've heard all the superlatives Jack has thrown the Penguin's way. He is definitely one of the most famous characters. He's certainly one of the most famous Batman villains and one of the most famous comic book villains of all time. Everybody can, everybody knows him. Uh, mostly, probably from he got a giant boost from being on the Batman TV show. Uh, Without being, a doubt, Bruce 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 just kicked Bruce. that part in the ass. Um, <laughs> he was the first. He's the first ever Batman villain. He was the first episode what? of the TV oh, show. The TV series. The TV show. Oh, okay. the TV show. Yeah, he was the first one, and he was he was so popular as a villain on the Batman TV show that the Batman writers would write scripts featuring the Penguin and kept them off to the side. And whenever Burgess Meredith was in town, then they shoot an episode. Oh, how funny! So they always had a Penguin script at the ready. For whatever Burgess Meredith was was in Hollywood, and they could shoot. So that's how popular the Penguin was. Uh, we see him here fl- floating on it with his bumper shoot, with a nice little zipatone effect on the inside of the umbrella. I enjoy that quite a bit. The logo that looks like a new logo. I don't think I'd ever seen that before. Where there's a silhouette of the P. Uh, it looks like the Penguin Books logo. Yeah, <laughs> um, and he's uh, you know Oswald Chesterfield Cobblepot is his real name. I, I gotta tell you, Jack. Um, I love it, man. I love this entry. I really, really do. As much as I want to make fun of it and just pick on you because you're you're yourself crazy, uh, this entry is fun. It, it's beautiful. The art is great. I mean, it looks like it's even though it's it's Howard Bender who I don't know that he has any history with the character. I really don't. But he has a really good sort of classic superhero look because you know he did Superboy for years and stuff like that. It looks like it's a superpowers thing piece. You know, it's yes, a great it superpowers does. promo piece. It's yep. beautiful. Yep. Now, if you read this, it's interesting, and I don't know how much this was retconned or how much was there initially. He's got a whole, whole theme of, of phrasing and stuff with his childhood about um, about penguins, about gobble, gobble, about ducks. It, it's almost like he could have gone to any, any bird character rather than the penguin. You know, this may have been the duck rather than the penguin at one point. <laughs> it's kind of how it feels. So, And there's also a neat bit where he goes in, he takes over this gang of thugs, makes them his henchmen, and then on his first heist, he calls the police and turns in his own gang. <laughs> I mean, what a bastard. It's like, wow, he's really cool. And they call him the bold bird of banditry in here. Love that. And then they're talking about his arsenal of stuff. It, you know, you know the, the umbrellas shoot all kinds of crazy stuff. One of them even had them shoot a germ of parrot fever. Because <laughs> why not? Right, exactly. So, love this character. Love, love this entry. Many years ago, I read the uh, original treatment for the Batman 2, uh, the original screenplay for Batman 2, the sequel to the Tim Burton movie. And oh. the, the bat, that was originally going to feature Vicky Vale again and the introduction of Robin. And Penguin was the villain. Um, and. In that script, Penguin uh, was a criminal mastermind who arranged Jack Napier to murder Bruce Wayne's parents. 
So there, really? Yeah, so therefore Batman had another reason to be mad at the Penguin, and I was just like, oh, come on. Was every bad guy in Gotham City involved in the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne? Like, it's like, this was like Absolutely. An, or- this an orchestrated hit, for God's sake. So uh, I can't necessarily argue that, you know, I was glad they didn't make that movie, but I, I wasn't too thrilled with the, the version of the Penguin in the, in the Batman Returns, so. Was that a was that a Sam Ham script you read? Uh, yeah, I think so. Back when I, I, read, I read I read one of the earlier Sam Ham scripts of the first Batman movie, and it also included the introduction of Robin. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, they were desperate to make that happen, man. Yeah, they were. Uh, one other thing, I think this entry is the only time I've ever seen Penguin without his hat. Oh, well, I've seen him before because I've seen that curl before. Of hair. He's right. got that black curl going on in the forehead. I don't know. I can't think I've ever seen him. Oh, we forgot to mention, he was Amigo Doll. That That's something else that was a big part of his popularity, I'm sure. He was Amigo Doll, you know? So hmm. if you were a fan of the character, you could get... I mean, well, a lot of the Batman villains were turned into Amigo Dolls, but, you know, like, Amigo had to make their own custom-made body for the Penguin because he didn't fit the same body mold as everybody else. So they obviously went to... Uh, the extra trouble uh, to make. I mean, I think he was a peg warmer. Like he never was a big hit, but they made him. When I worked in the comic book store, that was always the Mego that came in the door to be sold. Oh, so. <laughs> yeah. Poor Pengy. Anyway, yep. next up is Per Degaton, uh, and you can tell by the wonky anatomy that this must be a piece by Todd McFarlane. And, hey, uh, I like this piece. Uh, it's okay, but if you take Perdegaton's arm and just move it down, it's around. Oh his, shit! It's around his <laughs> knee. Uh, he's got an arm like Patrick Man, for God's sakes. That's um, a good point. That's the only thing. I do love this character, though. I always thought this was a cool character. I loved Roy Thomas. I always thought. I mean, Roy Thomas didn't create the character. Obviously, he first appeared in All Star Comics number thirty-five. But I thought I thought Roy Thomas did so much with him. He was this mad genius, could create all sorts of crazy time displacement equipment and cause all sorts of havoc. And he just hated the Justice Society with a white hot passion. And he wanted to conquer the world. I mean, he looks like Hitler. You know, he's got a Hitler-esque kind of costume. Um, I think he was great. I always thought he was just a really, really cool, badass, mean kind of guy. Neat villain. Uh, I love this piece. I, I didn't notice the arm thing. Now that's uh, now I'm never going to unsee You're that. You're welcome. Yeah. Now, I love the little buttons on the left-hand side representing the time travel. 1941, swastika. 1986, <laughs> swastika. 2017, we better be looking out. He's oh, coming. Boy. So I, I dig that. The, the art's nice, as you said. I, I like the, the layout with the big degaton in the back and how there's the interesting horizontal lines going across. It just looks cool. Yeah, it's nicely laid out. It's, it's absolutely nicely laid out. Just that and arm, that, that arm. And that, and that letter opener he's holding. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> supposed to be a sword. So it, the problem with Degaton is, and Michael Bailey and Scott uh, Gardner talked about this quite a bit on the Tales of the JSA podcast. The biggest problem with Degaton is he goes back in time, changes history, he gets defeated by the JSA, that time change gets undone, and he's returned back to Earth, you know, with no memory of it because it never happened. But then eventually he gets his memory back and remembers that incident. Well, the problem with that is you can't possibly remember a timeline that never happened. You know, you change history and it gets changed back. You can't remember that you changed history because <laughs> you never did. So that's part of the, the flaw of the Predigodon character, unless you go sort of all Doctor Who timey-wimey and say that, you know, if you're caught up in a paradox, you can remember it, I suppose. 
but uh, so that's always been a frustrating point for a lot of listeners or fans of the characters. Like, no, he he. Every time he goes to commit a crime, it should be the first time, as far as he's concerned. So <laughs> he was the instigator of two of my favorite JSA stories, which was, of course, the Crisis on Earth Prime, uh, which we covered here on the on Fire and Water, and then America versus the Justice Society miniseries, which an, which is another series I really love. So. He he didn't he didn't he wasn't born with much but he but he did he did a lot with what he was what he had. Yeah, and it's so sad. It talks about how in the future he commits suicide because he was defeated again. Yes, it's, he kills himself oh. at the end of the American Justice when he realizes he's lost. When again he just shoots himself in the head, and that's the end of that. So, Jeez, I need to read that series again. That's I good. That's a lot of. Fun. I want to read that again. It's a fun series. Uh, finally, the last entry in the book. Talk about going out with a whimper. The Persuader, yeah, no the Persuader by uh, Ron Wilson and Pablo Marcus, uh, makes Pariah look scintillating. Uh, this is nothing wrong with this character inherently, although it is a Legion character, so therefore, who cares? But the hey, it, the I art, do. It's a whole no, 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 actually, this guy's really kind of the character is cool looking. I love the giant axe; he looks like a big executioner. But boy, this is a boring piece of artwork. This looks like something out of a coloring book. And yes. the pose is really boring. He's just standing there. I almost feel like Ron Wilson didn't know that this wasn't the Marvel Universe book. Like, he yes. just didn't know that you could put him in an action pose or something. Um, yeah, this is very... It does good. look very Marvel Handbook, yeah, Stan. That's yep. a good point. Yeah, this is a very, very dull, dull, dull piece. It's very disappointing. It, it almost feels like... You know, they had, like, two seconds left uh, to get the book done, and someone's like, just get somebody to draw it. Because I, I don't even see any connection to Ron Wilson with the Legion. So that I looked up. I couldn't find any connection, and I'm like, I don't even know why he did it, and I wish he hadn't. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I love that axe. That axe is great. That looks like a real cool – he's got the little uh, Adam symbol on it, which is, it's, I guess, made from the same pattern as the nuclear family's couch. But uh, it, it's – like I said, I think he could be look cool. I mean, he looks cool on the cover, but yeah. but here he's just dull as dishwater. So, well, the atomic axe is a badass weapon. In fact, I just read Star Trek and the Legion of Superheroes. Uh, that crossover, I, you know, that should have been my book for uh, for uh, in Star Trek. Oh well, and there's a whole thing in there about the atomic axe and how badass it is, and like that was really cool. And then I, I was excited when I found out Persuader was in here, and I was like, oh, what a letdown! Yeah, just totally disappointing. Now, uh, in Inside the back cover, as always, we've got you know the various six covers promoted and talking about characters. Not a lot to share in this one. I mean, we get a cool New Teen Titans cover. We get an Outsiders cover, a Batman, a really nice Tom Andrake, uh, Two-Face. That, that Batman there. cover is killer. Oh, do you have this page? I have this one. I have this one, yeah. I love that cover. Oh, okay. A big close-up of Two-Face with the scarred coin of Batman on it. It looks fantastic. Yep. You got Infinity Inc. Uh, then you've got a really nice Legion of Superheroes character. It's got Princess... Or, I'm sorry, Sensor Girl, and she's like facing the camera, and she's got her shoulders shrugged. She's looking down, but you're looking up at her. So she, she's very sexy, very busty, but it's still angry and sort of pissed off at the same moment. And behind her, Element Lad's yelling, your secret is out, Sensor Girl. We know who you are. Dun, 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 dun. So Now, the thing I want to talk about the most, though, is that there's a little inset of issue number three of a four-issue miniseries called The Legend of Wonder Woman. Yes. And this was sort of a retcon, not retcon, uh, a flashback series, if you will, that filled the gap of the period when the, the Bronze Age Wonder Woman book came to a close and just before George Perez started his. So when I kept joking around this issue saying, you know, it's 15 minutes till George Perez changes everything. I wasn't kidding. I mean, they're, they're one month away 
pretty much, or maybe a month and a half from Perez changing everything. And this is a cover by, um, was it Trina Robbins? Trina Robbins, yeah. Yeah, we talked about her a couple issues back. She did the Uh, cheetah lifting. Yeah, she did a very fun stuff, fun, fun, fun stuff. So, I I love the little... Yes, uh, they do mention that. We'll be back at Revenge Against Aquaman. I love where it says, the nuclear family may return in Outsiders. Yeah, probably not, though. (laughs) (laughs) They're trying to keep their options open, but don't hold your breath for all of you nuclear family fans. So. It says the Penguin will be back to commit more larceny in Batman. There you of go. Of course. Of course he will. He's the Penguin. He's always, he yep. can never put him down for long. So, that's that closes it number out. number 17, baby, in the books. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, we have got lots of feedback on the last issue of Who's Who. What we're going to do, um, there's a couple different things going on here. We're going to blow through a lot of this. We're going to you know, talk about folks that sent us letters and comments and stuff. We're not going to get a chance to hit everybody. We're not going to be able to do all the social medias and say, you know, everybody retweeted and liked our stuff. Sorry about that. Some of that is my fault. Um, My computer died. So I'm sort of limping along to even be able to record this. But we wanted to do who's who so much I, you know, couldn't hold back. So uh, we're going to go ahead and run through some of this. But it's uh, it may not be as complete as always. But just know that every single comment, every single like, every single retweet is sincerely appreciated. Uh, you guys have your own conversations without us, which is amazing, the stuff you guys go through. And it's sincerely appreciated. Please, again, if you're on the social medias, please be sure to use that hashtag, poundfw podcast and google plus and tumblr and facebook they all take hashtags now so go for it yeah one of my favorite things every week part of favorite parts of doing the show is posting it on monday and following the comments as they pop up through like the you know the following days i really do enjoy that it's a, when i'm at work it's a great like when i would take a like a you know i want to take like a one minute break or something i pop over to firestorm fan and for the most part uh firestorm fan that's where most of the comments show up and read the ongoing threads. And the Who's Who episodes always inspire even the most longest comments and longest threads. So, yeah, we really do enjoy every every single comment that we get. We really do. Yep. Uh, uh, so, do you want to start? I was just going to mention, well, we got an email from John Cox. says, let me say first that I love your podcast. Who's Who and the Power Records episodes are my favorite things on the net. So, uh, really, really nice of him to mention that. And... Um, because he talked about we, – we talked about Justice League Anarchy and Justice League. And he said – he was reminding us basically saying there wasn't a Justice League Anarchy because I was scratching my head in one of the previous episodes we talked about Justice League Anarchy. And I was like, wait a minute. Where where these characters appeared before? He was pointing out that they were um, flying around uh, – where is it? Hold on. He, he remembers them, but they were not uh, – they didn't have their own book. They were just in uh, one-panel cameos in other books at the time during that Justice League's – Storyline. So thank you for that, John. Appreciate that. Appreciate your letter all the way from Nova Scotia. So, Uh, yeah, we got an email from Mike Lacroix. Gents, I'm catching up as fast as I can on episodes I on episode IJK. Jonah Hex's final fate is based on an episode of The Six Million Dollar Man. There's an amusement fair based episode where the evil villains use amusement park rides to disguise anti ballistic missile weapons or something like that. And during the production, the crew found a stuffed cowboy mannequin. Uh, and when an arm came loose, they realized, hey, wait a sec. Ew. I, I, that is amazing, Mike. I did not know that, that that's what that is based on. That is <laughs> creepy and weird and whatever. Uh, Mike, is the producer, <laughs> Mike is the producer of a podcast called Canadian Military History Podcast, which you can find at www.canadianmilitaryhistorypodcast.ca for any of you interested in Canadian military history. Apparently we're big in Canada. We are. We're huge in Canada. 
we got an email from Earth Two Chris, uh, co-host of the Power Records podcast. Uh, I got several things wrong in the last episode. I had I made several factual incorrect statements, and uh, Earth Earth Two Chris catches me here. First of all, I mentioned that the Odd Man never appeared in a DC comic, but that is not right. He says Odd Man did appear in an Honest to Goodness DC comic. One story ran in Detective Comics number four eighty seven, December January seventy nine eighty. I actually had this book as a kid, and the character really weirded me out. I just totally – I knew that, but I just completely forgot when I said it. So my apologies, everybody. I got that wrong. The odd man did appear in a DC comic. Um, I got a couple couple comments from Chris I want to bring up. He talks about Mongol. He says, so Jim Starling created dark si- created a dark side analog at Marvel, and they came to DC and created another. Weird. <laughs> and then uh, Multiplex, he says, Shag – the best helmet? Because I kept raving about Multiplex's helmet. It's like, best helmet? Really? What about, oh, I don't know, Dr. Fate? I'm like, oh, okay. I'm I know. Horribly, <laughs> I was shocked, yeah. Horribly embarrassed by that because Dr. Fate's like one of my favorite characters. I'm like, holy crap, he's absolutely right. Okay, Dr. Fate's helmet is coolest. Multiplex is second coolest. So, thank you for that. Good good pointing out. We also got an email from Martin Gray. Uh, oddly enough, you know, we talked about, Rob just mentioned how um, most of the comments show up at Firestorm Fan, which, by the way, they should because, you know, I'm, I'm, that's my site. So, yeah, absolutely. I have Martin no problem saying, with that. It's easier to leave comments on Firestorm Fan than it is on the Shrine. So I have no problem with that. Well, Martin was saying we should pick one place or another. And actually, Martin, I will come right out and say, believe it or not, I don't agree with that because everyone has their own style and everyone has their own social media preference. You know what, folks? Leave your comments wherever you want. Just make them easy for us to find. That's all I ask. So yeah, um, no, nah, I, I don't have. A, I don't think they should, anyone should be locked into doing one thing or another. So I'm just saying I won't be hurt if everybody leaves them on Firestar Frame because I understand it's a lot easier to leave things there than it is on the shrine. Well, it's certainly a more interesting site. So uh, another thing, we got another con- another letter from Earth Two, Chris, and he points out another mistake I made where I said that Aquaman only three Aquaman villains got listings in Who's Who. That's not right. There was four. The scavenger was the one I forgot. The scavenger gets his own listing. So, and I just much like uh, the Doctor Fate helmet, I completely blanked. I just completely yes. forgot about the scavenger. Um, Chris also points out when I talked about Mordrew, I knew Rob would pull out a, re- a reference to Legends of the Superheroes, perhaps the most what the f inclusion in those specials. Well, except for Ghetto Man. Uh, yeah, and Ghetto Man definitely deserved a listing in Who's Who. I don't care that he never appeared in a DC comic, but uh, yeah, I could not pass up grabbing an audio clip from the horrendous Legend of Superheroes special. Wait, wait, go, Ghetto, Ghetto Man? Yes. What is that from? You've never seen Legends of the Superheroes special? That was in that? Yes, Ghetto Man, yes. When they Jeez. when they do the roast and they bring out that superhero who is Ghetto Man and he tells a bunch of racist jokes and all the Justice League laugh. Yes. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> What no recollection of yes, that? Yes, yes, yeah. He comes out and he's got big platform shoes and he's got like a dashiki on and he tells the the one joke I remember the most is uh, the Justice League needs more uh, colored people and the Green Lantern don't count and then they cut the Green Lantern who is laughing uproariously at the uh, race. oh my yeah. god that's great stuff great stuff Greto Man definitely deserved the listing in Who's Who uh, but yeah I couldn't pass up pulling out that Mordu clip and I have to thank. Uh, the uh, one-two team of Amy and Aaron Bias for grabbing me that clip because um, after we recorded the episode, I thought, oh, well, this will be the stinger, and I'll just pull the clip off of YouTube. For some reason, Legends of the Superhero specials are really, like, not on YouTube. There's only, like, one little minute bits here and there. I thought I'd be able to find nearly the whole thing because, my God, who would want to pay for those? 
Um, so I ser- sent a search out and on uh, Facebook, and Aaron and Amy really moved heaven and earth to get me that clip, like, within, like, an hour or two of after I asked. So thanks to them for providing me that clip. I, I-, I had to end the episode with that. I just did. Hmm. All right. <laughs> Makes it all worth it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, let's see. We're moving on to Diablo Frank. Yep. So, uh, he, he came in here, and again, I know he's pissing off Rob, but I'm not going to stop. It says, regarding Giordano's studio inking, Shag is 100% right. The further we go into the background, the less likely Perez's work is even recognizable. Sorry. It's, uh, they should have had someone else inking the covers. It's, it's covers of one of the most important or top selling books in the DC comic, the DC pantheon at that time. The covers needed more attention. So. Okay. Uh, we got an email from Little Brussels Burbage of Brick City. Uh, he said a couple things, but he just mentioned uh, Shag's assertion that Monel is B-list. He goes, Monel is B-list? No, he isn't. That's it. There's other people, by the way, who came in and said he's more like you know C-list. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> now he did say something interesting. He he says Night Force was awesome. No, it wasn't. It was a great idea, but, but not well done. It was dull, which is an interesting observation because Night Force does look really, really cool. But for some reason, it doesn't take. So maybe he's got a good point. Maybe it's a great concept that just isn't executed all that well. Eh, impossible. Uh, we got an email from Siskoid. He's commented almost, he comments on every character. Uh, he, th- he threw me, though, with this. Not really about the monitors, but listening to Shag get on Rob's back made me realize Rob, who Rob reminds me of. Is it me, or does his voice sound a little like Kyle from Canacious D? Maybe it's just the role they both play. Yes, Shag, that means you're Jack Black. Oh, God. I am horrified. That insults both of us, dude. Really. I I am horrified to think that I would remind anyone of Kyle Gass. I mean, I don't have a big problem with the guy, but that is really not who I picture myself when I think of reminding people. So thanks, Cisco, and I really appreciate that. I I can't stand Jack Black. So, Yeah. Um, he, he goes on about more Drew. He says, yes, Shag's right. You can, cause I, I was, uh, I was asserting that more Drew was connected to Amethyst and I couldn't remember what the deal was there. And he was connected to modern day, not just the 30th century. And sure enough, it says, uh, Shag, you're right. You can find out more about, more about more Drew in Amethyst who's who update entry. So I guess we, we will, um, say, you know, we'll get to that within time. So, uh, yeah, we got an email from Martin Gray. Uh, I made yet another error in the last episode when I alleged that Nathaniel Dusk was done in black and white. Martin points out, first off, Nathaniel Dusk, while indeed shot of Gene Cullen's pencils, was in color. Is Rob trapped in that Calvin and Hobbes cartoon in which the old days are restricted to black and white? Um, that's entirely possible, Martin. I know that I read a comic book by Gene Cullen that was done in black and white. So I'm clearly confusing another series he did with Nathaniel Dusk. Because, Martin, you're right. That was shot in color. It was done in color. It was done in black and white. But I know I read a a comic by Gene Cullen in black and white. So I just don't remember what that book was. So I clearly was confusing the two. But, man, I was making errors left and right in that last episode of Who's Who. Good Lord. I'm glad he brought this up because I I was going to ding you for it. And then once I saw his letter, I was like, okay, I'll wait. But because I was actually at Books a Million not too long ago, and they have at my Books a Million they have a bunch of long boxes full of comics for a dollar. So I bought a bunch of Power of the Atom for a dollar, which I'm afraid <laughs> I ever overspent. But anyway, and then um, I came across a Nathaniel Dusk issue. I'm like, holy crap! I'm totally buying this. Rob sold me on this, and I get it. And 
not, not only is it in color, the color screws it up. Yeah, yeah, It yeah. really does, because it's like the new format type books, so the colors are really strong. And yet, as you said on the uh, last episode, it's all pencils. There's no yep. inks. Yep. So Colin's pencils are gorgeous. I mean, they are beautiful in the in the the writing is so dense with so much description because it's supposed to be like a pulp but then you get the colors are just almost like muddy because you don't have strong inks and it's the colors detract from the whole thing so i wish it was in black and white it would be gorgeous in black and white yep yep Uh, i was i was i was having some problems last episode (laughs) by the way we should mention siskoid over on his blog siskoid's blog of geekery he does uh, a whole lot of entries he does this pair um thing that runs parallel to our podcast called Who's This? And he does a whole bunch of entries based on characters from Who's Who. So you should go out to his site, again, Cisco's blog at Geekery, and you will see that he's got all kinds of, like, he did an entry on Misto and different things like that. Definitely, definitely check it out. Uh, yeah, we got another email from Count Druncula. Uh, he also points out, sorry, Shag, but Monel is not B-list. Wow. So, okay. And he, he also agrees with my take. Mongol is what you get when you want to avoid fourth world baggage associated fourth world baggage associated with Darkseid. That's why I like Mongol more and think he makes a much better arch foe for Justice League. Okay. Interesting here. He says, um, so I know there's always been a comparison between the Doom Patrol and the X-Men because their publication history and the title of Strange Heroes of, Strangest Heroes of All, but I think Doom Patrol is much more derivative of Marvel's first family, meaning Fantastic Four, than the mutants. They started with four characters, a brilliant leader, a strong man trapped in an armored shell, a guy who turns into energy to fly, and one with two X chromosomes, <laughs> meaning a girl. Their freakish deformities uh, lend them more to monstrous op- Outcast that defines the Fantastic Four for their first couple adventures. That is very interesting. I don't think I've ever heard the Doom Patrol compared to the Fantastic Four. Mm. It's a neat <laughs> idea. I never thought of that either. Yeah. Uh, we got an email from Ange from the Supergirl blog. Uh, he mentions at the end, he says, uh, Lastly, a while back, I also thought of getting some Who's Who entries signed by the artist. When I hit, when we hit R, I'll send and I'll scan and send the Reverse Flash entry signed by Carmen Infantino and Mike An- Murphy Anderson. That's great. That's fantastic that you got that because now that I now that neither one of them are with us, uh, hmm. that is super cool. I, I can't believe I've had Who's Who for thirty years. I can't believe I never thought to do that. I, I feel really stupid. That I, I missed so many chances to get some great stuff signed by by all those guys that did it. So. Yeah. Now, Ange also points out um, a lot of people point out with Nemesis Kid. We talked about how Nemesis Kid fought Karate Kid, and, and a lot of people correct us. He's basically saying, you no, know, he didn't just beat Karate Kid within an inch of his life. He did kill Karate Kid. So uh, um, a lot of people corrected us in that. So wow. Yeah. And 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 then and uh, his girl, um, Princess Projecta. I guess is who it was, uh, and snaps Nemesis Kid's neck. <laughs> Just, Just like wow. the end of Man of Steel. Oh! Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> we got an email from Anthony Durso, aka The Toy Room. He writes on Monsieur Mala. Why, oh why, has there never been a villain team consisting of Mala, Ultra Humanite, Titano, Gorilla Grodd, and Gorilla Boss? I would so buy that. I would buy that too. <laughs> that would be a whole lot of fun. Like, I could see, like, Art Adams drawing it. That would be really great. Somebody put that together, for God's sake. I like this. Uh, it says, Mongol, here's the real anti-life equation. Darkseid is greater than Thanos, which is greater than Mongol. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Love that. Uh, and he says, Nathaniel Dusk. Sorry, didn't read it. I was busy wasting my money on the first issues of Silver Blade and Sonic Disruptors. Let me tell you, that, that book's a million 
long boxes, there are so many copies of Sonic Disruptors number three. <laughs> I can't explain why. Is that the By only the way, she, DC miniseries that was canceled before it ever finished? Uh, it, it's their version of Quest Probe, I guess. Okay. But uh, I tell you, if Sonic Disruptors number one had been in there, I would have got it just to read <laughs> it. But no, only number three. And there were like ten copies of number three. And by the way, Gene, if you're listening to this, I think every issue of Quasar was in there. He just started a Quasar, <laughs> by the way. So right. it's, you know, that's something we should mention. Sean Corey just started a Marvel vs. DC uh, crossover craziness blog. Find that, look it up, check it out. And Gene Hendricks just started a Quasar blog. So welcome to the welcome to the wonderful world of uh, blogging, uh, of, of superhero blogging. <laughs> Poor bastards. <laughs> um, oh gosh, you know, Anthony left so many comments here. We just needed to pick out one or two more. We really should. Um, Yes, I was right about Nighthawk being retconned as Hawkman, one of his past identities. Thank you. I'm glad I wasn't crazy on that one. And uh, he also pointed out Aquaman had four villains. Way to go, Rob. Yep. So. Uh, yeah, I got uh, things uh, living oh. wrong left and right in that issue. Here's the one I want, wanted to bring up. Um, I, I mentioned how I remembered this story about Two-Face and, and Batman being dead and there was a trial and all all this stuff. He brings it up. He goes, where were you on the night Batman was killed? Took place in Batman 291 to 294. The four villains on trial were the Joker, Catwoman, Riddler, and Lex Luthor. Two-Face was the prosecuting attorney, and spoiler, it, uh, Two-Face was actually Batman in disguise. So the, I must have had issue 294, because I knew that Two-Face was Batman. So that, I, that must have been the issue I had as a kid. It's just neat to, to figure out a comic I had as a kid and haven't seen it in 30-plus years. I want to read that story. That sounds really cool. <laughs> like oh, it, 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 really it was cool. really cool. Uh, we got well, each, one of, each one of the villains tells their version of how they killed Batman. It's like that Batman uh, animated series episode. Almost got him. It's probably lifted from right like from that. it. Right. Well, the other way around. Um, anyway, we got an email from Kyle Benning about the Metamorpho and Metal Men stuff. I would just love an anthology book that featured Metal Men, Doom Patrol, Metamorpho, Plastic Man, and maybe the occasional Adam Strange and Challenges of the Unknown Story. <laughs> That'd be fun. Yeah, it would be canceled as a number two, but yeah, it would be a fun book. Um, he says, I love anthology titles and wish they were still used today. The Dollar Comics era of DC has some of my favorite short stories. DC put out some real gems in the pages of World's Finest, Adventure, and Detective. If I ever get myself into podcasting, it would be chronicling all of the Dollar Comics DC put out in order. Maybe one of those exists already. If it does, I need to find it and start tuning in. Uh, yeah, I mean, anthologies are just never probably going to come back because they don't according to publishers, they don't build loyalty as a series. Um, and so they just don't, and, and they're a lot more effort to put together because you're dealing with different creative teams and multiple creative teams every issue, multiple deadlines. So it's just one of those things that probably is never going to come back. But I agree with you, Kyle. I love anthologies and I wish, uh, I would, I do wish they were around. Yeah. Um, this, it goes on about Terry Austin. He wrote about Terry Austin. He said, Terry Austin is a great artist, but you're, but you're wrong. Stop the blasphemy. To imply that it was all Austin making Byrne one of the greatest artists ever is wrong. He complimented Byrne very nicely and was his best inker. They were a comics dream team, but to imply that it was Austin saving Byrne's pencil is wrong. Byrne looked great in this era, regardless of who was inking him. His work still looked amazing at the tops of the industry when he was inking himself or inked by Kiesel or Beattie. Yeah, that's fair. So, fair enough. Okay. Give you that. And uh, also, he, he on the Monel one, I mentioned there was the reference to a seed stock talking about the same people from Earth and Krypton and all the or Krypton and Daxamite and all this stuff. 
He says the seed stock they refer to is, I believe, a nod to the aliens in DC Comics Presents number two. I forget their race because basically they were one race that split and it was having a civil war lasting a billion years. They travel around the universe fighting each other and settling new worlds. Their ships are actually organic and they claim that their abandoned ships breaking down on worlds are what started life. And uh, he says, you know, it goes on to say, the story gets a little tedious, but it's one of Pasco's finer stories. And how can you not love Jose Luis Garcia Lopez? Praise be his, his name. Artwork. So, interesting. Reminds me of that uh, Star Trek Next Generation concept. They did a similar thing. Uh, we got an email from Jeff R. He mentions, I'm going to have to say the Night Girl's non-membership in the Legion proper, at least during the time frame we were who's who, has to disqualify her from the competition of hottest Legionnaire. Ah. I got you guys on a technicality on that one. Yeah, because she's, you know, oof, if we just go on who's who entry, she's a strong winner. Yep. But okay, I hear what you're saying. Now, he Jeff always sends us our, our egregious omission. Uh, so he wrote in, this month's egregious omission is one that I actually considered an egregious omission at the time. Moonbow, a Firestorm-supporting character who didn't make it into this issue despite having made her first appearance two, full two weeks before it came out. So for that bit of nostalgia's sake, I'm pretending not to have learned anything about production schedules realities in the intervening decade. If they could do a teaser on the second part of her intro story, why not an actual page? All right, well, I'll address this, Jeff. Because Moonbow sucks. Um... As a Firestorm guy, I'm not supposed to say that, but, oh, I hated that character, even back then. <laughs> she's cute and she's sexy, but just, I hated that character, so, sorry. Uh, a, f- a friend of mine whose real name is Steve came in here. He says, didn't you used to work for Multiplex? If not Multiplex from Firestorm, I'm sure there's some Multiplex or other. I used to actually manage movie theaters, so it was kind ah, of Ah, okay, I read that and could not comprehend what the hell they were talking kind about. Kind of a funny bit. Uh, we got it. up, oh, yeah? I, I got to read Harlan's. Can I okay. do Harlan's? Yeah, go ahead. Harlan Freiliker. Right, that's right. I forgot he emailed you halfway through the last podcast. Anyway, Shag, I got to disagree with you calling bullshit on Monitor 2 designation. I said that when Monitor or Monitor 2, I said bullshit, it's really anti-Monitor. This is, we've got decades of referring to him as the anti-Monitor now. But at the time, it was difficult. I'm sorry, it was a kind of bullshit designation itself, added to distinguish the two monitors. During crisis, the anti-monitor always referred to himself as the monitor, starting a month before the cover that introduces the, same, introduces the name the anti-monitor. And whenever anyone addressed him directly by name, they just called him monitor. I assume that Marv Wolfman was trying to get across how the two monitors were exact counterparts to one another by giving them the same name. And then discovered he couldn't have a simple conversation about the plot without having to explain. He gives little examples. No, I mean the bad monitor grabs him. This was the good monitor's brain. Uh, George, this artwork's amazing. It's the kind of thing people are still going to be praising 30 years from now. But uh, you've got the wrong monitor killing Supergirl. Maybe I could have been more specific in the script, but I thought you'd get it from the context. Sorry. <laughs> you make good points, Harlan. Uh, you really do. And so I will rescind the harshness of my comment. I still say it should just be straight up anti monitor, but I will rescind the uh, intensity of my comment. How's that? Fair enough. Uh, we got another email from Frank. We get multiple emails from Frank, and that's why I'm going to talk about his comment on Multiple Man. He says, my eye was not, <laughs> my eye was not drawn to Multiple Man's lower portion, so I don't know what's up with you guys. Uh, Patton drew this Challenger's secret origin, so that's probably why he got this gig. I guess the Challengers wanted to be on the scene first in the event of one of their foes broke out of prison, which would be commendable if not for the whole gross violation of human rights and due process aspect. <laughs> no wow. no response to that? 
I got nothing. Okay. Uh, and he also <laughs> mentioned, I bought a water-damaged copy of Nathaniel Dusk Number 1 from a flea market as a kid and had trouble wrapping my brain around the murder of an innocent woman within. Wasn't she going to be saved by the comic hero like in other comics I bought? No, she wasn't, it seemed. Mature! I had an off-putting encounter with Don McGregor at SDCC 2000-ish during a panel with Gene Collin. A Bronze Age great, but kind of colored my perception of the guy from then on. I hear you on that. I don't mean specifically with McGregor, but uh, I've had some less than great experiences with certain comics pros and it does unfortunately uh, it does to me color a bit of what you think about their work after it shouldn't it really shouldn't make a difference um ty cobb is a great baseball player regardless of the fact he was probably a sociopath but it, it, i i can't help it and in fact there I, there is a comic book artist i'm not going to say who but there's a comic book artist who is pretty much beloved in this industry uh, for being a very talented and nice person but every single interaction I've had with them at Comic-Con has been less than good. And I don't know whether I keep catching them at the wrong time or I'm not asking something in the right way. But every time I have an encounter with them, it's, it's a negative. And to the point where I've stopped trying to talk to them. And I, I seem to be the only one. Every other story I hear about this person, they praise this person. So I just gave up. I'm like, all right, clearly there's some chemical imbalance here. So I, I totally hear you, Franklin, that, that that can throw you a little bit. And it's some of the risk you have when talking to someone who you, you really admire. Yeah. Now I'm going to jump ahead a bit. Continue. It says, here's the thing about Neboros. I loved the early issues of Blue Devil, but found my interest slowly but steadily trailing off as the series progressed. Rereading them as an adult, I realized how much of my enjoyment centered around Blue Devil's first and best villain. Neboros was a kooky visage and can either be kid-friendly, fun monster, or creepy as hell, depending entirely on the context. He had a fantastic perspective and rapport with Dan, who was himself at his best serving as an average Joe in extraordinary circumstances. It was weird saying Nebros played straight in the 90s, but he still worked in a way Blue Devil hasn't since the underground, uh, Underworld Unleashed. I'd also say that Gary Martin is one of the unsung great anchors, uh, and he still produces lovely art today. So, very cool. Yeah, I agree. Nebros, in this, you know, once Paris Collins left the series after issue six, uh, it really does sort of get difficult to maintain your excitement for the Blue Devil series. There's some, there's certainly some gems in there, but Paris Collins just, there's nothing, nothing like Paris Collins drawn Blue Devil. Oof. Very nice. We heard from Tim Wallace. Sent us a nice email talking a lot about Blue Beetle. We appreciate that. Thank you very much. He runs a Blue Beetle blog, Court Industries. He does. We heard from uh, Doug Zawiza talking about uh, a nice lengthy bit. You can check that out on Firestorm Fan talking about Negative Woman, Hot Dog. And uh, let's see what else. Oh my gosh, Frank, Frank, Frank just kept coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's funny, he doesn't want to be on the show, but yet he writes these incredibly long things It's uh, about the show. You feel like he wants to be on the show, but then he turned us down every time we've asked him. So. Oh, that's not true. Yeah, what? True. What are you, okay, what are you right. talking about? <laughs> we he asked just turned us down, that's true. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we got an email from Philemon. He says, Rob, I apologize for not including you in the club of redhead-loving comic geeks. We can use as many members as we can get. I don't know. I always thought redheads were like a thing. I mean, Bruce Springsteen wrote a song about it and stuff like that. So I always thought that was kind of a common thing that guys like. But I'm glad to be in the club one way or the other. I was going to say, I think what he's saying is he talks about it, but he didn't realize you were in the club. Okay, so anyway. Yeah, I am most definitely in the club. I thing where I have a problem pronouncing words. And I love how he says, Shag, it's pronounced pronunciation guide, not pronunciation guide. So he pointed out the irony that I can't even pronounce, pronounce, pronunciate. <laughs> Thanks for that, Dick. Ooh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Love you. Mean it. 
Uh, <laughs> Michael Bailey was kind enough to give us a shout out on his uh, his blog, Fortress of Bailey Tude. And um, wait a minute, Martin Gray gave the same bit. Oh no, he, never mind. He's talking about never mind. Okay, thought he was picking on me. Also, I was like, man, everyone's pounding on me, guys. Give me a break. I was sick, wasn't I? Anyway, we heard from Joe X, uh, a new pod, new Who's Who podcast listener. Says he'll stumble across this while he's looking for something else. And uh, so, anyway, it's it's always nice to hear from new listeners. You'll say that um, I'll say that in the mid '90s there was some discussion floated on some DC related mailing list he was a member of, and there was a CD-ROM version of Who's Who. Or there was they wanted to develop a CD-ROM version of Who's Who, but he didn't think it went anywhere. How interesting is that? That's really CD-ROMs. Cool. Remember that was going to be the wave of the future. Oh, yeah. Well, he says, these days, it seems ideal for an app with micropayments to get, like, who's who. Kind of interesting. I totally agree gives, with that. That's a great idea. He also gave us a link to Todd Klein's site for a lot of the who's who logos. Yes. Uh, we got another email from Harlan Freilicker. I'm not going to read it, but he basically gets into long, long details of why Northwind sucks. Shag? Would help if I didn't mute my microphone, folks. Sorry about that. Wow. I muted my microphone to cough. <laughs> I didn't unmute it. So we were talking about Northwind, and no one heard me. Anyway, so Harlan's <laughs> how, letter is... How symbolic. Right. So go over to Firestorm Fan. Check out Harlan's stuff. I love it at the end. He's, he actually has a slogan. Thanks for listening. And remember our slogan, Northwind, making Dr. Midnight look impressive by comparison since 1983. <laughs> oh, boy. And I posted a, a, a picture of Night Girl over on Facebook and uh, got a lot of comments. I mean, she really got some motors running there, folks. Heard from Mike Gillis and Michael Bailey and Robert Gross and Christopher J. Warden and Robert Preeb and Brandon Austin, uh, Bradley Austin Null, Ben Herman. Uh, I like uh, Michael Bailey says that uh, Jennifer Connelly from the Labyrinth era would have been perfect for Night Girl. Absolutely true. She would have been perfect for anything from that era. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe. Uh, Christopher Warden pointed out closer to one, this is important. It says closer to one now in her latest version, the owl symbol is now a boob window. That makes me so, sad. <laughs> well, it makes perfect sense though, because now with the way Legion of Superheroes ended in New Fifty Two, there's they they sort of lead you to believe that Legion of Superheroes is actually on Earth Two, not on Earth One, which works out perfect because we all know Earth 2 is apparently full of uh, trailer park women who all have boob windows. So. <laughs> it, does, it does make sense. It still makes me sad. It does. Uh, Russell Burbage, uh, little Russell Burbage from Brick City said he agrees with me. The inking on the cover was weak. And I just want to give a personal thank you, by the way, out to little Russell Burbage from Brick City. He sent a wonderful care package to me with an awesome shirt, which it, it's – I don't know if you've seen this shirt. I haven't even told Rob this yet. Uh, I got – he sent this awesome shirt from Kohl's. It comes with this metal tin. It's a Justice League shirt. It's this classic satellite era Justice League George Perez cover of 217, and I already have one, so I Rob doesn't even know this yet. We'll figure it out. We're going to give it away on the show sometime soon, so be watching for that. We'll figure out how, how and why we're giving it away to somebody, and we'll let you guys know about it. Thank you for that, Russell. He also sent some great comics, and he sent this. Russell always does the coolest things. He like he, He's an artist, so he draws. like He has this great birthday card for Aquaman and Firestorm. It's got a drawing of Aquaman and a drawing of Firestorm and all this birthday stuff inside. And on the package, he's got Elongated Man and Dr. Fate. And just, thank you, Russell. Just really, really awesome, awesome stuff. Much yeah, Russell's box of fun is always is always. I, I, he included in my box a, a bag of Clark bars, uh, which I distributed to one of my coworkers because uh, I had the box with me at work. So everybody appreciated that, Russell. Fantastic. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, we are, 
just for a quick couple of people like promoted us uh, over on Facebook, like on their own walls and on their own sites. We appreciate it. Sean Engel, Michael Bailey, J. David Weeder, Court Industries, and Mike Peacock. And that's just a few people. A lot of people, like I said, have liked us and left comments. And thank you for those. We just don't have the time to name check everybody right now. Uh, Gene Hendricks left a comment on Google+, Plus, which I love. He says, I just wonder if Ronnie gets paranoid when he goes to the movies. You want to go see what's playing at the multiplex? Ah, oh, <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, we were talking last issue about um, who was fighting Negative Woman in the Serpent. We couldn't quite figure it out. He said it was Reactron, a classic Supergirl. That's who it was. I forgot. I just blanked. He, he yeah. put that up on Twitter. Well, that led to a discussion between Ange and Sterling Gates – former writer of Supergirl and current writer of Forever Evil Argus and, and Vibe, he says, fun fact, we were going to create a new, most likely female Reactron for the Supergirl Revenge Squad. Reactress. Cool. Yeah, right. How cool is that? So, Also, thanks to uh, Matt Santori-Griffith, Floto Span, and Eduardo Escobar. Gave us some very nice shout-outs on Twitter. And like I said, there's a million people who retweeted us and everything. Thank you all to everyone. Really appreciate it, but we are out of time. We are going to have to wrap up for this episode. Folks, um, please, you know, start reading now. Next issue, start reading issue 18 of Who's Who to get ready for next month, and we can do it together. It'll be fun. In the meantime, please check out Rob's site, AquamanShrine.net. You can find him also on Facebook and Twitter under the handle Aquaman Shrine. You can find Firestorm Fan at FirestormFan.com and under the same handle on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, and Instagram. Rob, where can the email us here at the show? Firewaterpodcast at Comcast.net. Yep. You can also leave comments on our, our sites about the show if you want to leave the comments. It it does seem to be that Firestorm fans the place where the most comments get left. If you want to be part of the conversation and argue with Frank, that's the place to go. Uh, I mean, it's, it's like shooting fish in a barrel. It's so easy. But anyway, go on over there. Leave us a comment. Also, um, we're, all right, we're, Tumblr. Uh, <laughs> Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. And go out there and you will have like 10 to 15 images from this issue of Who's Who. And that's it, folks. That's it. Come on back next month. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And we still need a tagline. We do. We'll, we'll, we get, get, we'll have one by the time we do Who's Who in Star Trek. Who's Who in Impact. Yeah, <laughs> Who's Who in Impact. So. <laughs> All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Night. Aquaman and Superman, Animal Man and Plastic Man, Firestorm and Nuclear Man, Batman and Hawkman, 2D Man and Hour Man. Who are all these people, man? They're all part of the DC. Who's who? Ultra Boy and Booster Gold, Lightning Lass and Hippolyta, Phantom Stranger, Fitchick and Arisia and Woozy Winks. Hey, hey, hey. What? What about that one guy? What guy? Mr. Pretzel, Mr. Lipstick, Mr. Mitzelfuzzle? Mr. Mitzi's Pitlick? Yeah, him. He's also part of the DC. Who's who? Oh, man. We forgot Slipknot. When the night is dark and you're fast asleep, somewhere in Gotham, I quietly creep. I am the master of evil and dastardly deeds. On an innocent city, I fiendishly feed. <laughs> He's the penguin. <laughs>
against me. 